Hey, everybody. Jacob here from the Formula Drift podcast. We have an awesome deal for you. So if you head over to shopfd.com and use coupon code PODCAST23, you're going to save 20% on any merch. So anything you can find on that website, use PODCAST23 at shopfd.com. Save yourself 20%. Hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever. Just use the code. Save yourself some money. So why not? You know, don't don't stop listening. Wait till the show's done. But then head over, shopfd.com, use podcast 23. We'll see you guys out there. All right, everybody. Welcome back to The Outer Zone. My name is Jacob Gettins. And today we have Dylan the Dozer Hughes. Uh, how's it going, bud? Good, man. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Have you, uh, have you fully adopted the, the dozer nickname at this point? Like, is it? Yeah. At this point, it's not like I really have a choice. Uh, I asked yeah. Jared actually if I could change it at the very beginning and he said, absolutely not. And I was like, no. okay, well, here we go. It could be worse. You could go back to dill pickle and then you'd have real problems, right? That's true. That's true. I hate pickles. And maybe that is the reason why I hate pickles because growing up people always called me dill pickle. So like, I don't, maybe pickles are good. I'll never know because I'm so far down the path of I have to hate them that it's just, that's just my life now. Once, yeah, once you kind of get known for something, you you almost kind of have to lean into it at that point. So I get it. Like you, it's, it's, it's becomes part of your persona, right? Yeah, exactly. Do, like do you hate almost all hilarious pickles how items? much I hate pickles. Um, I, I think so. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just went for it. You're like, yeah, I'm just I'm just taking that whole genre of food and I'm just getting I just, rid of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna try pickle one day in secrecy and I'm actually gonna like it and I'm gonna be like, ah oh, man, like that's it. I just can it's, never have this again. That's it. It's like when somebody quits smoking and has to hide it, like from all their friends and stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. You're just like sneak, sneaking off into the parking lot to eat some pickles. <laughs> yeah, only when I drink, you know. Well, I only I only eat pickles when I drink. <laughs> when I drink. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, there's worse things. There's worse things to, to be, uh, you yeah. know, to be hiding from your friends. So it's not too bad. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the the dozer, I wasn't in love with it at first, but like now it's kind of cool. You know, every time I ram into somebody, they're like, oh, the dozer. And I'm just like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I, I know we talked about it before, but I feel like it's one of those moments when you get your nickname from Jared, you're like, okay, cool. Like, I know I'm, I've kind of cemented in the ethos of, of FD. Yeah. So that's, yeah. uh. That's not too bad. Uh, I mean, it could be worse. You could be the the Walmart reader. I I feel so bad for Travis. <laughs> Although I think it's now switched to the speed reader, right? The speed reader. And man, honestly, if he had like four kids or more, we could just call him the breeder as well. The breeder would be pretty <laughs> hilarious too. Travis, the Walmart greeter, breeder, reader. Yeah, yeah. That'd be gnarly. That I I mean, maybe we'll maybe we should suggest that to him. Be like, look, man, you're gonna have to find somebody, settle down, have four kids like right away. Yeah, you're like you have to immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how, are you allowed to talk about what you were up to today? Or uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I posted all over social media. It, it's okay. all good. Um, yeah. So we went. Uh, we took the Bonneville bike over to a local dyno here. I live in Southern California, so we took it over to uh, a shop that we pretty much just cold called and we're like, "Hey, we got to dyno this thing and make sure it's running good before we take it back to the Bonneville Salt Flats this year." Right. Um, so twenty one was our first year that we did that. We did 191 mile an hour average over a mile. Jesus. Um, and the only reason that we didn't go any faster was because all of the stock bikes these days, everything that's new has a 186 mile an hour speed limiter on it, which is 300 Ks. So for whatever reason, they don't want you going any faster than that. That's still pretty fast. But at the end of the day, I couldn't go and test it, right? I didn't know that it maxed out. I jumped on the bike and it smacked up to a buck fifty on the highway. And I was like, oh my God, this thing will do 200, no problem. Yeah. So um, had to get rid of a bunch of the safety stuff on it. So I've been going through a couple different like plug-in style tuners, trying to figure out what will delete all of the junk off of it that we don't want. 
Um, you know, it's got wheel speed sensors, wheelie sensors on it, uh, traction control, ABS, all this junk, and we don't want any of it. So yeah. we got to figure out how to delete that. We went to the dyno today. It made good power, but the the tune wasn't quite right. So um, we got to go back and forth. And anyway, we went to the dyno with the motorcycle today, <laughs> and it went <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what's the what's the base bike that that's under there? It's a 2021 Kawasaki ZH2. So it's a supercharged okay. thousand. Uh, and it comes like that from the factory, and we chose that bike just because it's pretty much the most powerful, one of the most powerful bikes, bang for your buck, that you can get. Uh, like I said, it's about 200 horsepower stock, and mm-hmm. it is terrifying. Like is the it, fact that you can just go buy that is nuts to me. Yeah, it's it is it's pretty wild. Like how fast bikes have got. I mean, anything that's that's a leader bike now, it's like, do you really need that? Like, right. I mean, and especially they they just like strap a supercharger on it too. They're like leader bike plus a supercharger, and you're just like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Have you have you ridden like a lot of leader bikes previously, or was this the first one? Mm, I think I've I've probably ridden a Gixxer one thousand before. I've never haven't really done much road stuff. Okay. Uh, to, to be completely honest with you, it's not like I've never done a track day on on any sort of sport bike. Uh, okay. I did like a little bit of supermoto when I was a kid, but I was probably like twelve on mm. knobbies, you know, going out and burning up knobbies on on a road course. Yeah, but besides that. Uh, no, not really. I just grew up riding and racing uh, dirt bikes. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I I wasn't sure if like I, I knew you had a ton of bike experience in the past. I wasn't sure if you'd jumped on jumped on any like a CBR one thousand or like a TL one thousand or something like that. Yeah, like I said, I've ridden a couple Ducatis, uh, a couple Gixxers, but like it's only on the highway, you know, in jeans and a t shirt. There isn't really yeah. uh, like I bought my first set of leathers when we went to the Bonneville Salt Flats to do that. Um, and, uh, cool. yeah, it, it was definitely cool, but it was, it was definitely one of those things where I was like, yeah, I'll kind of figure it out as I go. And it wasn't that hard. You just hold it pinned <laughs> pretty much <laughs> and try not to die. And that's, and that's done. You have to do two passes with that, right? It's one in each direction that's, to get your average. That's only if you're securing a record, um, oh, okay. for the class and the leader bike with force induction record is like almost 400 miles an hour. And I have absolutely no interest in doing any of that. So yeah, I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> that's a lot. And and here's how the whole thing came to be. It was when I graduated high school in 2010, um, my father and I took a trip down to Moab, Utah. From I lived in the Pacific Northwest in Washington State at the time. We went down to Utah to go ride dirt bikes because that was our thing. We'd always go ride together. So he was like, mm-hmm. you, made, you made it through school. Good job, kid. We go down there. We ended up swinging by uh, the Bonneville Salt Flats for the BMSD event. And we saw a couple guys running you know, about 200 miles an hour on relatively stock-ish sport bikes. And uh, we swore that we would come back and do it someday. And uh, it took us 10 years, but um, we ended up doing it in 21. We have some pretty awesome sponsors that help us get there and helped us get the bike and did a bunch of work to it and made a whole content piece out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of where that came from. It was just like something me and my dad always wanted to do. And then we did it. So nine miles an hour short of the 200 mark, but that's... Um, I'm confidently saying that that was purely mechanical. Uh, but yeah, I held it on the throttle stop for two miles. and That's as fast as it would go. Jesus, that's crazy. Yeah. It, so you is, see, think about it, it was like 18 seconds per mile-ish. So it was it was almost almost a minute of just shy of 200. So people say, well, I hit 200 on my bike all the time. But it's like, did you hold it for mm-hmm. 45 seconds? That was that was a long time. 
Is it at that speed is like, is there any, because in the cell flats, the frame of reference is like, there's not a lot of frame of reference, right? Really, it's just the, the, the wind resistance is your biggest frame of reference. You know, you stick your hand out the freeway when you're on a car doing mm-hmm. 70. It's like, oh, there's some resistance, but you almost triple that. And it all of a sudden, it's like trying to pull you off the back of the bike. And that was the biggest thing to me is you had your quarter mile markers that would go by relatively quickly mm-hmm. um, at 190. And then just the amount of air that's holding, that's blowing on you was pretty staggering to me. I did not expect that at all. Yeah, I guess that's the one part that there's there's really no way to train for. It's not like you're going to hop on the bike and jump in a wind tunnel or something. I mean, you could, obviously, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. And I just remember, like, the next day, like, my shoulder muscles were kind of sore from just holding myself on the bike because it's, like, it creates, like, a vacuum and it wants to pull you off the back, which was a little, a little bit spooky. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I never thought of that. Weird. That yeah, you're going to create a negative pressure zone behind you, right? Right. And I'm like tucked behind the fairing, trying to, and I cut the gas tank in half so I could get my helmet lower behind my little <laughs> fairing. And I was just tucked like elbows in, knees in, toes in, like everything as small as I possibly could, to the point where like my face was just basically on the screen, uh, and I just. What? That's yeah, crazy. Silly. How yeah, do we're you, going back this year? Yeah. How do you how do you approach like sponsors with that? Because like. I like what's that what's that process like cuz it's it's not drifting it's not probably not part of an original agreement or contract and I mean like obviously you can only say so much but like is that one of those it starts with like yeah I was thinking about doing this thing what do you guys think of that or is it like pretty much this is yeah. I was going to say Dylan in a tie at, at a board meeting going like okay here's our return on ad spend <laughs> yeah not necessarily so Permatex has been a really really good sponsor of ours for a couple of years uh, and they they stepped up over the past couple of years especially and we have our Formula Drift program with Royal Purple. So we do six rounds Royal Purple and we do two rounds Permatex. Okay. So Royal Purple is our biggest sponsor for Formula Drift and then Permatex would be our second biggest. The cool part about um, Permatex is that they're willing to do other fun, cool stuff. So last year we went and ran a 24 hours of lemons race in a completely stock Mini Cooper. And they had a couple of some of their guys come out and drive with us, which is really cool. So I think that Permatex is basically, they're the owners of different is what we like to call them. So if we have some sort of crazy idea, like they're totally down to do cool stuff, whatever people will be down to watch is what they're down to do. And we're so, so thankful for that. Yeah, that's, so, that's I mean, awesome. I mean, literally, you know, we do our weekly phone calls with him and it was just like, hey, like we've kind of had this idea. Dylan and his dad want to do this thing, you know, and we're all on this group call. And uh, we're like, well, what do you guys think about like buying a bike and going to the Bonneville Star Flats, trying to run 200? They were like, yes, let's do it. So we figured out a budget and figured out a number and figured out what made sense that we could do it on and uh, crunch the numbers and sent it. That's that's awesome. One, uh, I, I'm super happy to hear that you're doing like weekly calls with sponsors. I think that's mm. something that doesn't get talked about enough with with young drivers is like the responsibility of of contact, especially like, you know, you're dealing with with big budget stuff and and it's, you know, it's a very large company that you're you're operating with. So like that's that's a responsibility that falls within that. Well, and at, at the end of the day, it's you the reason for a company sponsoring you is because they want to get something out of it in return. Of course. They're not just going to fork over X amount of dollars just so you can go and play and have fun and live out your dream. What does that do for them? Nothing, mm-hmm. right? So they need to be um, informed on what's going on and need to be up to date along the way because at the end of the day, you can't plan for everything. Um, so that's why at the beginning of the year, we sign our contract with this, 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 and this that we have to do. And then we'll leave like a blank space. Like we're going to do say one small car build that we don't know what it is yet, or we're mm. going to do one event that we don't know what it is yet. You know, um, 
But keeping in constant contact is very important, making sure that everybody's happy and social media posts are going according to plan. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot for sure. And I, uh, I'm very thankful for Kenan on that, on that part, my business partner, Kenan. He helps a lot with the phone calls and keeping track and making sure everybody's happy. And uh, Carlos and I spend a lot of time working on the cars, building the projects and making it all come to life, really. Yeah, and, and I mean, realistically, you've kind of had two of the, you know, I, I would say arguably the, the greatest uh, people. In, it's, it's hard to like define exactly what it is, but basically Travis Pastrana and Chris Forsberg as mentors throughout your career, yeah. like, holy shit, that's a masterclass in, in how to manage sponsors. Like right yeah, there. Yeah, and the, the Travis Pastrana deal was kind of a, through a crazy series of events. So that whole thing came about um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call Travis a mentor of mine. I would say Chris Forsberg, absolutely. I okay. owe a lot to that guy. But Travis Pastrana was kind of a, a crazy series of events. I ended up working with him. Um, I quit my construction job when I was 19 and started working at Dirtfish Rally School as a tractor boy, grading the whole course back together. Um, and then I started spending a lot of time in the shop after work. I would just go in there and help the guys work on roll cages or reprep the cars, whatever, because I was interested in it. It's what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in motorsports, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And around this time, I'm like building this V8 240. Like, obviously, I'm into drifting. Um, and then basically, Dirtfish said one day, like, hey, we're going to sponsor this race team. We don't know what it is yet. So all of a sudden, the Red Bull Dodge uh, like semi truck shows up and it's like, oh, by the way, we're sponsoring the Red Bull Dodge Rallycross team of Travis Pastrana and Bryce Menzies are the two drivers. So we completely rebuilt those cars at the end of 2012, getting ready for the 2013 season. And I am. 2020, maybe, I think I just turned 21 at this point. Okay. So they basically, I was staying at the shop super late, putting in a lot of hours, helping these guys build these cars back up, you know, staying till midnight, 1, 2 a.m., trying to get these cars ready for the season. They had a set group of guys that were going to the track. And uh, I think one of the guys ended up having a fallen out with a manager of some sort. Somebody got fired, somebody got sick, and they were like, hey, we need a guy. Uh, it was the second round of the year, and they were like, uh, Dylan, well, like you know these cars pretty well. Do you want to go travel with the team? And I said, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Like, All right, sweet. You got a ticket to Barcelona X Games in two weeks. And I was like, let's go. So like, ended up working with those guys, traveled the world together. We did uh, Munich, Barcelona, uh, all over the United States, a bunch of different tracks, went to all the X Games and all the rallycross events in 13. And ultimately, that's where I ended up meeting Brian Wilkerson. Uh, the third time I was in Vegas that year, it was during SEMA. I didn't even know what SEMA was at that time. Um, we, at one of our mechanics ended up getting sick. So the manager of the team named Blair Stopnik used to be Chris Forsberg's manager. So Blair hit up Chris and was like, hey, do you have a mechanic here that can help us in Vegas this weekend? Yes, Brian Wilkerson shows up. And I'm mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm Dylan. Hey, I'm Brian. What do you do? He's like, oh, I'm Chris Forsberg's crew chief. And I'm just like, massive drift fan. I'm just like, no way. Like, dude, that's so sick. You know, so we immediately hit it off and started like hanging out throughout the weekend and we work well together. And that's what the first time I ended up meeting Forsberg and Vaughn was down to Fremont Street in Vegas, 2013 during SEMA. And, um, you know, I like met Chris. I'm like, what? He was like, oh, hey, kid, cool. Psh, all right, see you later. And I was just yeah. like starstruck, you know? And then Brian, I, I harassed him all weekend. I was like, I didn't have plans to run a race team next year because I knew the Red Bull Dodge deal was going away. So um, I was like, Brian, you know, like, let me know if you need help. Let me know if you need help. Like all weekend. I was like, yo, like, like this drifting stuff is it, you know? And, uh, Okay, so I'll, I'll let Chris know. And literally, my phone rang one day. It was a Pennsylvania number, and I answered it. Hey, is this Dylan? Yeah, this is Chris Forsberg. And I'm just like, 
oh my God, this is not, this is not happening. He's like, Hey, like Brian says, you're cool. Like if you're down to, to lend us a hand, he was bringing on Castro to drive his second Z at the time. Um, if you, if you want to, uh, if you want to come down to Long Beach, you, you got a ticket. So I was like, sweet. So flew down to Long Beach by myself. His wife picked me up from the airport. And, uh, you know, from there we just started working together. And, um, then like, I think we did a couple rounds in and I was doing pretty decent as a mechanic and, and learning quick and everything. And then, um, you know, I, I'd expressed some interest in working for them full time. So they were like, Hey, if you want to move to Maryland and work for MA Motorsports full time, working on the cars and doing like roll cages, um, they're like, you got a full time job. So I was like, I'm out, moved to Maryland at 22 and I lived there for like two and a half years. Um, just sent it. That's wild. <laughs> pretty crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. To, it's crazy to think back on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really easy to sit back now and, and look at it and be like, Oh yeah, it all makes sense. Like everything comes together. Yeah. But at the time I'm sure it was like, I don't know. Was just, I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Just it was a sin happens. for sure. Yeah. And, and I have to thank my father for that. You know, I was just like, dad, I got this opportunity and I'm very, very close to my father. He's still my spotter. I bring him to yeah. all the races. Both my mom and my dad come to all the FD rounds. Uh, so super thankful for our relationship with them. But you know, I was just like, well, like, I don't want, I don't want to move to the East Coast. That's that's not just like I drive down the street. You know, that's like yeah. a six-hour plane ride, like three thousand miles away. Like, I don't know about this. And he was just like, look, dude, like, you leave right now. He's like, if you have a bad day, if you have a bad week, it's a, it's an eight hundred dollar plane ticket. You'll be home in six hours. Yeah, like everything you've ever known, everything you'll ever have known, just come back. If you don't like it, just come back. It'll always be here. And that really hit me. I was just like, holy shit, I have to do this. Like, I have to. So. Literally, I had like my my dirt bike gear bag. It was the biggest bag that I had, so I loaded all my junk in there and just jumped on a one way plane ticket to Maryland, and uh, ended up living with Chris for a couple of months, and then found my own spot. And uh, that's kind of how that whole thing like started going down. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, what, super what a, like, crazy. What a just a, a leap of faith, right? Of just like yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, but like I need to try, right? I was like, I'm going to hate myself for the rest of my life if I don't do this. So like you just, sometimes you just have to to take the send and just whatever in your gut feels right. And I'm so thankful yeah. that my father was there to kind of help me through it because it was a big decision for me, you know? Like I didn't, I feel like 22, I was a kid, you know? I, I didn't know, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, you, you know? I didn't know anything. So to be able to, to have him be like, no, like you got it, like do it. And I was like, all right, let's go. So yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, your family has been incredibly supportive over the years. I mean, I, I've thankfully had the opportunity to chat with your dad a couple of times over the years back in 2018 when I was working with Sexsmith. I, I kind of chatted with him a bit then and then throughout this year, I've chatted with him a little bit more. And I mean, even hearing stories of like, you know, him selling a Datsun 510 to buy you a welder. Like that's, yeah. that's so <laughs> huge. Like I, 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 yeah. I, I understand that you weren't a big Datsun 510 fan, so the decision was a at little the time, easier, no. but yeah. Yeah, at the time. <laughs> well, I mean, now, dude, I wish I wish we would have I wish we would have kept it. It'd be worth loot right now. But right? I mean hindsight's always twenty twenty. But at the time we were like his sister gave him the car and uh I kinda like routed it around the yard a little bit and I was like, Oh, real will drive car, like sweet, you know? Yeah. Uh, whatever. And you know, I wanted a welder so I could make money doing like two bumpers and rock sliders and stuff like that. Because when I when I was a kid in high school, it was like if your parents gave you a car, like a Toyota 4Runner or something random, whatever, and you wanted to cut the muffler off of that bitch, you call me. Like mm. We would come over, we'd cut the muffler off of that thing, I'd like put a little tube in there, like somebody wanted like a pair of rock sliders for their off-road truck, a tube bumper or something, you call me and my boy Chase would build it at my dad's house. So we definitely yeah. had that, um, uh, that, that's just, we were always like car dudes, you know? I didn't get into cars till I was about a freshman, and then ever since then it was just like, I was all in, like I loved it. Yeah, and I mean, at that, at that point, it was, I mean, you just, just balls deep in high school. I mean, basically living in, was it Mr. Mayor's 
class and and just living yeah. the welding life, right? Yeah, like just doing the uh, yeah. I took seven semesters of welding metals manufacturing in high school. Luckily, our school had a really cool uh, welding program, so I was a teacher's assistant in the whole thing. So I could, after I did it a couple times, like got decent at it. I didn't have to do all the bookwork and everything. I could just show up and go build pretty much whatever I wanted at any time, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so very, very thankful for that. And I basically got, I remember being like guilt tripped into getting into cars because I was always into kind of welding, but not really automotive stuff. And I remember one of my buddies in that shop class was like, oh yeah, like my buddy got a new truck. It's got a 350 in it. And I was like, what's a 350? <laughs> is, that a, is that a, is that a, is that what motor is that? I have no idea. Is that a four cylinder? Is that a, yeah, I don't even know what any of that was. And I remember yeah. I was just like, I will never look like a fool again. You know what I mean? Because I was like, I don't know what that is. And they were all like, oh, you don't know what a 350 is. And I was just like, basically got guilt tripped into getting into cars, basically. I like to say that. <laughs> that's that's funny. I mean, I, I realistically, I didn't get into cars until my first year of college because my car was breaking down and mm -hmm. like, I had no, and I had opportunities. You had to. I had a, yeah, I had, a, I had an old uh, Tacoma, uh, similar, like that I never worked on. I never did anything with. My stepdad like still bugs me about it to this day. And then I got to college and like, my 98 protege would break down and it's like, do you have yeah. $600 to do the brakes or are you going to learn how to do it yourself? So right. that was, that was like, mine. Right. Yeah. yeah I just, I didn't have, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have much of a choice. I was like, you know, stuck and I'm like, okay, I guess I better buy some wrenches and, and figure this out myself at that point. You're and like, then, all right, in the parking lot, here we go. <laughs> yeah, it was like rain in, today. <laughs> basically. Yeah. It was, it was in my driveway of, of the house I was sharing with like eight people in college. <laughs> and like nobody worked on cars, so straight frat house. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I was in culinary yeah. school at the time too, so you can imagine how oh, wild okay. that was. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Did you, you, did you, you didn't do? I guess based on this timeline, you did no post secondary education. Like, it, I'm sure high school was a a struggle. I'm I'm sure just getting to graduation wasn't easy. Yeah, that was, yeah, I didn't know, you know, I wanted to go to college for the social aspect of it, but yeah. I did so terrible in high school. I mean, I got my first job when I was 15. My buddy used to come and pick me up from my house and drive me to work after we got out of school. And uh, as soon as I found out somebody would pay me for my time, school was out the window. I didn't, I didn't care at all. There was, there was nothing that could be said that would change my mind about it. Yeah. I thought it was a waste of time. I hated it more than anything in the entire world. And I would literally remember getting off the school bus every day after work. I would throw my backpack up on the porch. And I would walk straight out to the garage and I'd put my dirt bike gear on. And fortunately, we had like a, a massive network of logging roads that were uh, up by my, that were like a quarter mile down the road from the house. Mm -hmm. So I would just like, my parents would know I was home. I would the, dirt bike the motorcycle start up and yeah. I would like do a couple laps around the yard and then I would just dip and I'd be gone till almost dark. And that, that was my only saving grace was that I needed that so bad because I just absolutely despised school more than anything in the world. I just thought it was a useless waste of time. And then, you know, everybody, you start to talk to friends, oh, where are you going to college at? And I was like, I wanted to go for the social aspect of it. You know, I like partying and hanging out and meeting chase yeah. and stuff. But it just wasn't in the cards for me. I didn't want to pay for it. I wasn't willing to go into debt for it. And I, again, I just wanted to make money. So that's when I started doing um, like underground work, like construction type stuff. Um, realized that was pretty difficult on your body and it wasn't something that, it wasn't a career for me. I was just like happy to be making money. And that's when I, I took a, a pretty big pay cut to go work at Dirtfish. And that was like my first like turn of the page. That was chapter one of my motorsports career essentially was just like going on a limb being like, okay, I'm making, you know, $40 an hour at 18 years old on a prevailing wage job. But like, I hated it. So I was yeah. like, all right, like money isn't everything. I'm, I'm learning that now. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go take, you know, 14 or whatever dollars an hour going to work at Dirtfish's Tractor Boy. And that, that right there was like the very first send of like, all right, like I got to make a change. I have to do this because I want to be in motorsports. So, you know, even at 19 or 20, that was, that was a, 
a pretty big sacrifice because I was like, shit, man, like you guys want you guys want some beer right now? Like, let's go get some beer. You guys want like movie tickets? Like, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'll get it, you know. But yeah, money wasn't money wasn't really everything. It was just I just I wanted to do something else with my life. I knew that being a ditch digger my whole life wasn't it wasn't meant to be. It didn't feel right. Yeah, I, I I understand what you mean. Like it's it's that search for something that you know you see the path that everybody else is going on, and it's like, nah, something about this doesn't feel right. Like it's not yeah. their excitement is not my excitement. I want to, you know, I want to be ripping up and down the road. I want to be buying cars off eBay and flipping them and shredding them over at Little John's place. Like you know, that's <laughs> that's the stuff that I want to be doing, not not sitting in yeah. college in class, right? Yeah, no, the school thing just wasn't for me, man. And and like I wouldn't be opposed to like a trade school. I don't think that would be a bad thing, but it felt like I already went through trade school because I did seven semesters of welding metals manufacturing. Like, yeah, I knew how to weld, I knew how to fabricate oxyacetylene, MIG, TIG, like whatever. I, I knew yeah. it all at that point. So I was like, I feel like going to a fabrication school might have been a little bit redundant. Not to say that I knew everything or still do know everything. Like that's absolutely not what I'm saying. But um, I was like, ah, I feel like I could just do it. Like at this yeah. point, I knew how to bend tube. I knew how to MIG weld like decent. And we, you know, we had already been building two bumpers and rock sliders for our bros trucks and everything. So I just, I was like, ah, I can't pay for it. I don't want to pay for it. I don't want to go into debt. I was like, no way. Did you, uh, did you ever finish that T-Rex skeleton in high school? Uh, I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so. I, oh, I think, I think what ended up happening was I did so bad on all of my other classes. I ended up failing too many classes and then I had to go to zero period. And then I uh, had to retake a class that I ended up failing. So I couldn't take my eighth semester of welding metals manufacturing. So I never got to finish it because of my terrible grades. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking dog. It was like it was like a 1.8 GPA average, like forever. Like I was just not into it. I was like, homework. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I'm not doing it. <laughs> there, there's a there's a quote that I found from your yearbook that I think really explains the entire situation and your mindset in high school. Uh, and I'd be curious if it still matches today. And it was, uh, you get the most responsibility in CTE over any other class. I have leadership roles over other people, and I get to use dangerous tools. I manage my own time and other people's time and get to make sure the projects are done and not screw around too, too much. I feel like that yeah. was pretty prolific for, <laughs> for a sophomore. Right. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't heard that probably since I said it back in the day, but that's, that's pretty damn close to how I live my life even today. So that's what I'm a saying. damn thing changed. <laughs> a no, damn thing no, changed. You're managing time and try not to screw around too, too much. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously going to be a fair amount of screwing around. That's part of doing what we do. But yeah, of course. too, too much. That's that's the, the razor's edge, the fine right, line right there. Right. It still allows for a, a, a fair bit of screwing around. And that line yeah. is kind of blurry, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> do you, uh, do, do you, I, I've always found that like guys coming out of rainy environments tend to do better in drifting. And this is nothing against like California drifters. I think California drifters do well solely because they can get seat time like almost nobody else can. But there's sure. something about the Pacific Midwest. There's something about the, um, you know, like or you know, or not Pacific Midwest, the, the Pacific Coast, the Midwest guys. There we go. There's Northwest, yeah. Northwest, yeah. You, thank you. That there, there, there seems to be something about driving in snow and driving in wet weather that just develops driving like nothing else can. Um, how do you yeah. feel about that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. Like when I was working at Dirtfish, I had that's when I ended up buying my my little E36 that is now my uh, uh, my grid life car, my practice car, we'll call it. 
Um, I ended up buying that thing, and like every day after work, it was raining. I'm going street drifting. Right. Like, hate to say it, but like Allegedly. we had a bunch of mountain. <laughs> yeah, right. In theory, <laughs> we had to, we had a bunch of mountain roads, and like I could I could drive up, um, you know, Interstate 90, like up towards Snoqualmie Pass, and there would be like random little off ramps that like is pretty popping in the summertime, but in the wintertime, it's just pouring down rain. Nobody's up there at the river, so mm-hmm. like there was all these cool little areas that we would go. We have our little layouts. We would do with a couple of my buddies, but if my buddies weren't around, like I just go up there and like. Rod around by myself. Um, never really got caught, never really got in trouble for it. One time I went up there and like for whatever reason, it's like a blind corner, and usually there's never anybody up there at this time of year. <laughs> just for and just this one time, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just gonna drive around this corner just to check. Drove around the corner, the police officer sitting there, and I was like, Holy shit, I'm so yeah. glad I didn't drift that corner. So I turned around, I'm like, man, I drove all the way up here. Like, I really want to go drifting. And I was just like, I'm gonna ask this dude. I'm just gonna ask him. Fuck it. Cruise over there and I'm like Hey, and he's like, well, what's up? And I'm just like, well, I like just did some stuff to my car and I was wondering if I could like, you know, like whip it around a little bit. And he was just like, looks around. He's like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to head east. You just do your thing. And he just uh, t- drove off. And I was like, no way, this is the best. And it was like me and my buddy Chase, uh, he was with me and uh, Chase Schmidt, actually he ran uh, Pro 2 for, for a year. Um, and so we ended up like brapping around or whatever. So I, I will be honest, a little bit of street drifting in my background, but, uh, not, not anymore. I, I just try and keep it real, yeah. real low key as much as I can, you know, around Costa Mesa, it's not really a street drifting friendly area. Um, but I think at the right place at the right time, maybe there is uh, a, a small place for it. I don't know. I might get in trouble for saying that, but <laughs> and, and that's just what we did, you know, like there was nobody yeah. around. So like it was raining, like I'm just going to go like slide around. So I think that's, that's probably where some of those skills came from that mm-hmm. and, Growing up riding and racing dirt bikes definitely helped too because you're constantly used to that loose back end feel, um, reading your terrain and, and all that kind of junk. So I definitely think that the Pacific Northwest definitely helped me with that a lot. And I think that that showed in Orlando for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, Last year's the, Orlando. the wet weather stuff, I mean, if we if you look back on it, it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously you did incredibly well. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, you you see that with those with those guys. I mean, a good example too is, uh, I think it was 2018, Sebastian Gauthier and, and Riley Sexsmith and Pro 2 in the rain. And that was at Irwindale. Yeah. And like both those guys were just, I mean, I think Jamie. Riley ended up crashing out, but like it it just shows like both of those guys coming from from Canada, just incredibly comfortable in that 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 type of uh, traction environment, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And once you kind of once you kind of wrap your head around what the car is going to do, it's it is fairly predictable. You know, there there's always the the surface changes are always really tough. Yeah. Um, whether it's concrete or asphalt or, you know, like uh, if they put that sealer in between like cracks, if they seal the cracks, yeah. if there's a bunch of that, it kind of messes everything up. But once you, especially like you're doing an FD track, you do the same lap several times, right? You kind of learn the surface. So once you learn your surface and you know what the car is going to do and you got a decent setup for it that you know works for you, um, then like it's just like kind of slow motion. And then all of a sudden it becomes kind of fun, but also a, a really good challenge because it's it's essentially damage control in my opinion it's just mm-hmm. whoever can mess up the least because there's you're going to wobble you're going to wiggle it's going to grip up and you're going to like almost straighten and all these different things are going to happen so to me i think winning orlando was just damage control really <laughs> yeah I, I i without like going back and watching the whole thing which i probably should have but uh yeah that's i mean that's that's a lot of wet weather stuff and it's interesting too because like Chris also talks about how much he loves running in the rain and it's 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 always funny to see kind of how that lineage goes down and like trying to to compare drivers based on where they started what they ran like I I don't know I get really nerdy about that kind of stuff of like okay what did this guy learn from like why is he good in this environment why is this their type of driving what is their car setup and 
I feel like, uh, I, I mean, obviously coming from where you came from, the dirt bike background, uh, you did some flat track dirt bike stuff too, if I'm not mistaken. Like A little that, bit, that's, yep. That's big, yeah. Yeah, and that and that's all like you know your sense of balance and basically what you're feeling through your butt, and that's that's yeah. all driving a drift car is is you are giving inputs to the car based on what you feel through your butt because you're just being cradled in the seat, right? So you're mm-hmm. just you're reacting based on what you feel, and that is every single bit of what is pretty much anything on two wheels, especially in the dirt world where you're constantly slipping and sliding. Um, the only difference is that you move your weight around on the bike, changes how it acts in the car. You're just locked in. You just right. you change everything with the wheel or your other inputs on the on the on the floor, but. Um, you know, and even in FD Orlando, uh, 2022, the year that I won that event, it was, I don't think that that was necessarily my best driving I've ever done. Like the tandem wasn't insane. Like I, I look back on the event and I'm just like, eh, could have been doing better. Like in the finals of Forsberg, I should have held the throttle through the transfer and I, I bitched out and whatever. So, (laughs) and that's, that's why I say it's damage control because it wasn't insane driving on my end. I think I just messed up the least at the end of the day. I I think I, I nailed the initiation behind Forsberg in the finals and then I, that's pretty much what sealed the deal because they were leaning very heavily on the initiation. Um, Forsberg definitely had better proximity on me on the second, uh, you know, the lower bank, we call, yeah, I call it. Outside, um, zone, yeah. outside two, I guess, yeah. Um, but I, like I said, I think it was I nailed the initiation and then it was just damage control. It just, you know, Matt ended up spinning behind me, I believe, uh, you know, and it was just basically who was making the least amount of mistakes. And I think that day it was it was me. Yeah, it was uh, that that night is one of those nights that I don't think I'll ever forget just the storm and everything else and the battles Dude, and like it was it was it was crazy that was the was craziest epic. FD event yeah it was epic I just have this photo that uh, Victoria took of I ended up bumping the wall or bumping a cone or something my bumper's like halfway falling off and uh, we're like sitting there backwards basically on the starting line and there's just a, a horizontal lightning bolt that goes all the way across the sky mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen that photo, but it's just like that right there is like the picturesque moment of like what that entire event was for us. It was just like FD was just like, we have to finish this event. Like, just go, 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 go. So, like, even when Travis and I competed at that event together, both of us were on fully dry setups and we were both like, fuck it, we're going to send it. We don't care. That's that's crazy. I, I, we're like, we just got to go. I feel like the, it's not a rivalry because you guys go back so far, but like the battles that you guys have had and like how far back all of those battles go between you and Travis is something that I don't think enough people talk about. Like looking through like the, even the Pro 2 stuff, you guys, I think your last year in Pro 2, you guys battled two or three times. And it was like two or three times. Yeah. yeah. I think we, we both did um, three out of four podiums that year in 20, what was that, 18? Yep. So me and him were kind of just like going back and forth. Like, you know, we were both standing on the podium. He beat me for the win one time. Yep. I don't know if I ever beat him for the win one time, but it was, it was crazy, crazy just back and forth. We were both podiuming the whole time. And then it was like, it all, it ultimately came down to Irwindale. And then he didn't qualify for whatever reason. (laughs) I wrecked my car, took parts off of his car, put it on mine. And then I got beat by, uh, by uh, that dude, Crick. Yep. Yeah. And uh, if I would have beat Crick, I would have won the championship. And since I didn't, uh, Travis ended up getting it. But I think that all played out how it should have. You know, that was obviously yeah. I wanted to win, but that was that was a crazy, uh, crazy year for sure. And then Trav, um, Trav's just been a great friend of mine. Like we really, we met because we met at Seattle FD 2016 or 17. I had just okay. won the US Drift Pro-Am. 
right. in 16. And then he won the Evergreen Pro-Am in 16. So it was basically like Biggie and Tupac, like East versus West type deal. Yeah. Um, so like when I met him, I'm just like, I heard a bunch about this dude and he heard a bunch about me, but then like we were kind of like standoffish at first. And then we just clicked, like PNW boys, we just clicked and we started hanging out. And then it just became really fun to just battle it out with your homie and then like podiuming all the time in Pro 2 was super fun. And uh, yeah, Travis a homie, man. He's a good dude. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's, uh, I, it's just, it's one of those, like I said, just one of those like histories that I, I don't think gets touched. There's so much that goes on in FD and it's, it's really difficult to like try and shine a light on everything. But like going back through looking all the battles you guys have had, looking at how similar cars were for such a long time, like it's, it's, it's just crazy how, yeah, like Biggie and Tupac, I, I, that's, that's, I think the perfect analogy where it's like, it, it could be portrayed as a beef or it could be portrayed as like this epic friendship, right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. And we had very similar cars. We we're both S13 coupes, yeah. NAV8s. Um, and then I jumped on the E46 train first just because yeah. I got the opportunity <laughs> to to drive the uh, the Huddy car in 2019, fell in love with the chassis immediately. And I already had my E36 for a couple years at that time and I love the way it drove, but I yeah. never got to drive uh, a BMW E46 chassis with good power. Um, and that was the first time when we did the Huddy car, it was 630 wheel horsepower NA 454 V8. And it was good for sure. And mm. then um, I drove Rad Dan Supra in the street in front of his shop. And I was like, Changed. no more V8s for me. Like sold it, all of it. Like all my V8s were gone. I have That's only crazy. turbo inline six cylinders now. Yeah. I'm and a- Travis is just like, oh, you're fucking uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love turbos, dude. They're the best. <laughs> Something about the sound, right? There's just, and and that like, that buildup of, of horsepower, That's there is something very addicting about it. Two-stroke versus four-stroke dirt bike is what I yeah. ultimately relay that to is, is the best way to describe it in layman's terms. And then once you add the nitrous on top, it's a two-stroke dirt bike with nitrous. Nitrous mm. is its totally own, it's, its own ballgame. So it feels like a V8, but you still have the amazing sounds and that turbo power band uh, of, of, you know, uh, of a turbo car. So yeah, I don't know. I literally, I drove Dan's practice super in the street in front of his shop and I was like, I'm done. Like, this is it. Sold my 240s, sold my V8s and put a 2J in my competition car and never looked back. And, wow. and what's funny about the whole thing is I remember I was working for Chris for years and he had that, the NA VK56 with nitrous, the yeah. Nissan Titan engine. And that thing would sing, man. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then I remember seeing Forrest Wang because Chris and Forrest had a pretty big beef back in the day, like yes. 16 era, yeah. you know? New Jersey they had was a, that like, that big the, incident, right? The pivotal moment for sure, yeah. right? So, and Forrest always had like the V hate stickers, you know, he always had like the plug in the ears thing. And I was like, that's whack. I was like, that sticker's so whack. That sticker's so whack. And here I am in 2023. And even last year, I'm just like, I get it. I totally yeah. get it. You're around the stuff for long enough. Like, I just, somebody starts up a V8 next to me. I'm like, would you shut that thing up? You know, like my 2J is just like, bah, idling in the pits, all nice and quiet. But then it gets loud when you want it to be loud. Yeah. So it's just funny how things change is all I'm trying to get at. It's just funny. I just thought that sticker was so whack. And now I'm just like, <laughs> I want that sticker. Like, I get it. <laughs> I think I think it's funny too, because like Simon Olsen did the opposite where he's like this diehard 2J guy and then he gets in yeah. his car and then you're like, this is the best driving he's ever done. And it's <laughs> yeah, and like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think he'll sell his 2Js, but like there's no. definitely a lot more love for the V8s from him now. <laughs> there's something to be said there. I mean, there's something to be said. Like, yeah. you know, he didn't have much luck. Uh, he drove good in his Supra for sure. I'm, I'm not trying to doubt the guy's skills. Like no, he shreds no. for sure. But it's really been interesting it, to see him this year to transfer over to that supercharged package and then just like kill it. Just, like just, way, yeah. like way up from last year. Like I think he's doing way better. So yeah. I'd be curious to drive like a proper supercharged setup like that in an E46 and then see if someday I'll change my mind to go back. I don't know if that'll <laughs> happen, but I don't know. I'd just be curious because I haven't driven a... a I don't think I've driven a force inducted V8 ever, honestly. Ah, you could you could go with the Hearst setup, right? The the giant single and 
that that's best yeah. of both worlds. I mean, nothing vomits flames out the hood, and I absolutely it's love so, that about it. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. It's, it is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that that car reflects his personality better than like almost any car on the grid. Oh, <laughs> like, it's, it's magical. So I remember seeing his Instagram post where he he uh, he took it to like a mud drag with yeah, like paddle tires. But tractor tires. Like, this on. dude is a psycho. Dude, he's <sighs> like, oh, the FD car. You mean the one that I crashed? And like he was basically yeah. like to the internet was just like, I don't care. And I was yeah. like, this dude's awesome. Dude, it was still, I was talking to him in Irwindale and it was like still, or not Irwindale, Long Beach, and it still had mud in it. Like there was still like mud sticking inside fender dude. wells and stuff. It's dude, crazy. He's, he's, he's hilarious. And he shreds too. He really does. Yeah. Like he's been stepping it up this year too. He's been looking good. Yeah. yeah it's, no, it's, it's steep competition, man. You don't want to battle anybody. You get your you get your 32 bracket and it's never an event where you're like, yes, like I want to run this dude. You usually it's not just not a walk like, anymore. Yeah. You're like, all right, everybody shreds. Like, here we go. Hopefully we make it through the 32. Like the 32 is by far the worst battle of the day. <sighs> Once you make it, it through that, it's the worst, in my opinion. There and like they, I don't want to name names, but like there were guys previously where you could be like, "Oh, this would be an easy win," and then now we see them qualifying incredibly well, or almost yep. taking out Osbo, or what? Like like these weird situations where you're like, "What the hell just happened?" Like yep. this this guy should have been a walk. Yeah, nobody's walking the park, man. Like there's no. thirty, however many competitors, and like everybody's good. At the end of the day, yeah. everybody everybody shreds. And it's like I said, the 32 is the worst because there's this massive buildup to it where it's like, you know, you, you fly or drive to the event for a couple of days or whatever. You've been there for a couple of days, you practice, you qualify, all this different crap. And then it all boils down to this one moment. And if you lose a 32, you don't even get to like technically go into the show. You don't get to go yeah. stand in front of the crowd, do your wave. And so that's by far, in my opinion, the most nerve wracking one. And once you get mm. through that, Sometimes you could find your groove, and then if you make it through the sixteen into the eight, at that point you're just like ready to party. Like yeah, you're just bring it, you're like you okay, know? cool. Like even if we go out at this point, like I know I'm I'm top ten. Like I know I'm getting good points. Like okay. sure, sure. Like, I don't yeah, want to lose, but yeah. And it's not like you can you know say like a dirt bike race or like a even like a regular car race, like an endurance race. You know, like you start you start going, oh, I made a mistake in the first turn. Okay, I can get it back. You can find your yeah. groove. You can settle in. And there's been stories where dudes will come from 10th place and come up and win. You don't get yeah. that in drifting. You have 45 seconds and you go right now. Okay, you ready? Oh, just kidding. Commercial. Yeah. And you're just sitting on the line, just <laughs> boiling in your car like, okay, you ready now? And you're like, well, no, I was 30 seconds ago or three minutes ago. And like, okay, go now. So it's just, I think that drifting is so mental that it's just whoever can turn it on like now. Yeah, like ready to go 100%, put that bumper on the wall, drag the whole bumper on the whole way, and then be able to push someone's door in um, like at the drop of a hat. And that's why I think it is so difficult because it's like, I think anybody can go out there, run good laps and practice, be like, okay, I had a good lap, pull to the starting line, and then go and do it again. And be like, that was a sick lap. But it's like, sit out of the car for two and a half hours, sign autographs, sit in the sun, eat food, get tired, then strap back into the car on a track that's a different temperature, okay, now go run his door after waiting for, you know, yeah. after being out of the car for two and a half, three hours. And, uh, you know, the nerves will get to you on that. And that's what I think is so wildly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just, it's so... Um, it's so different it's just, than any other sport. It's just cutthroat. It's yeah. just cutthroat. Like, it's just yeah. like, you do this right now or you're, you lose. You stop drifting, you lose. You don't yeah. touch your bumper on the wall, you lose. Like, it, it's just, there's so many ways where it's just like, oh, you messed up, you're done. Like you have 45 seconds to shine and if you blow it, like you're going home. doesn't matter how far away you came from. It's just, it's just crazy. It's so cutthroat. And that's why I think that it's the absolute highest of highs and the absolute lowest of lows I've experienced in drifting. And that's, that's just how it is. And I think that's why we all love it. Yeah, it's, it is a drug at the end of the day. And it takes the hardest elements of almost every other motorsport and, and takes the most difficult parts. Like that anticipation of drag racing, 
and then the preciseness of of road racing and the unpredictability of rally. And it's sandwiched, it just pushes all of it together. Like, okay, all the parts that make this sport really difficult, we're going to make one sport out of it. And then we're going to make it a judge sport. So it's not even like it's timed. Yeah. And right. here you go. Like, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I never thought of it like that. I really yeah. like that. That's pretty cool. It's, it really is. It's kind of the worst part of every single motorsport in one. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, legitimately. <laughs> I mean, in the best way. Like, obviously, we both yeah, love course, it. That's why course. we're here. Yeah, but of like, course, of course. holy shit. Like, just, yeah. No, you're you're not kidding. I, I love the way yeah. that, you, that you describe that. I think that's, that's absolutely spot on, in my opinion. That's perfect. Yeah. It's just anxiety inducing all around. So do you, so I've asked, I've asked, I think every driver now, is there anything you do in the car to prepare anything like that to get your head straight? Um, dude, I try new shit all the time. You know, <laughs> like I, 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 th- I thought like in pro two, it was adrenaline based. I was okay. in the car beat, beating on my helmet, you know, yelling, whatever I have to do to get myself amped up and psyched up. And I think I probably run better tandem that way. But okay. I think that I'm basing my decisions adrenaline based, and I don't think that's where I need to be. Not necessarily for my lead runs. Um, for the chase, maybe sometimes if I'm pissed off, like if somebody hits me or if I like make a mistake on my lead yeah. or something, then I might do a little bit better. Um, I'm still trying to find it, man. You know, like I have my little routine, little couple of breathing exercises that I do, but nothing crazy, man. I just on race day, I just get real quiet. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't mm. want to, you know, everybody in the pits is all joking around trying to keep it light, and I'm just like, kind of just sitting there, you know, and I feel bad for the boys because I'm like such a bummer to be around on race day, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I am who I am, I suppose. But yeah, dude, I, I try new stuff all the time. I, I try, like I said, I have my little routine. I got a little breathing exercise that I do, but you know, some events I'm like, man, I really, I really should have been like adrenaline based. I should have been yelling in the car before I got going. And then some days I'm like, wow, I was like robot calm and it was way better. You know, Yeah. Uh, I will say when I did win Orlando, that was just purely, I looked at it as I had a job to do. Like mm, okay. it, we were looking at every battle, like one down, four to go, like yeah. two down, you know, uh, and and that was that was pretty cool. And by the end of it, it was so like, it was just very like there was no emotion involved in it. It was just like I have a job to do, and this is what I'm going to do. And I think that was able to work for that event, maybe because it was a rain one. Um, and then in Orlando this year, we ended up doing pretty good. I almost got on the podium, um, and that one was, I would say there was a lot of planning involved in, in every one of the drivers that we were going against. And really that that's a double-edged sword because that can bite you because you can either overthink it and focus on one thing too much where you like almost forget about another part of a track. Um, but at the end of the day, you try and just let your instincts do what you do. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know how you drift. You just drift, you just do it. Mm. So like my goal is just to make it to the first turn. If I can just focus on the initiation and put it in the wall, my body can take over and I just do what I do. Uh, in the chase position, I think that's in the lead for me. And then the chase position, I think that I need to give myself a couple different cues, you know, like uh, hold the throttle through the smoke, no matter mm-hmm. what. You know, whether you can see or not, just hold it through the smoke and you deal with the consequences on the other side. So I've been kind of trying to focus on a little bit of stuff like that. Um, anticipating transitions is really important for me. I, I struggle with that for sure. Um, my chase driving is getting better, but it's still not anywhere where it needs to be. I think that I still have a long ways to go and a lot to learn. And and that's why I also love drifting because it isn't like the new fast kid. You know, you could, you could put like in dirt bikes, you just have this like young kid who just has no fear. He just holds it pinned and he just deals with it. You know, mm-hmm. drifting is not like that. It is, it is much more wisdom and dealing with something that is thrown at you and making the split second decision and making the right decision every time. You know, like if the car's in a different spot that you anticipated, like you have one millisecond to adjust and react or else you're going to 
blow your transfer or go off the track or lose proximity or something like that. So I think drifting is much more wisdom. And that's why I think you find older, older people driving in it, you know, Osbo's 30 something, Forsberg's 40 something, Turks, you know, upper thirties. Uh, I, I think, I think that it is, it is wisdom and, and it's just being in those situations and knowing what to do in real time. And that's what I think is kind of cool about it. Yeah, we um, we do see, you know, the young, like the young guys like a Brandon Sorensen coming in where it's like, you can tell he has no fear and he has like natural instinct. And it's that wisdom that it seems like he's still building up to kind of get him to the next level. And that's, I mean, nothing against him. He's an incredible driver. Uh, yeah, and he's he been doing it for so long. Um, and then, I mean, even in, in Pro 2, we see Jay the Drifter come in. Same thing, just no fear. Like you can see the way he's driving, but the the wisdom part is that that that's the time thing. You can't, cheat that you can't fix that instantly like it it takes time it takes seat time it takes situational experience right and you go back and every time i go back and look through the live stream later i always get so irritated with myself i just get pissed <laughs> because i'm just like what are you doing you idiot like you should have yeah. known he was gonna do that but like hindsight is always so 2020 and you can only just watch it later and learn from it that's the only thing that you can really do and i, I try not to get frustrated with myself but it's so easy to sit on your couch and watch it and be like well all you had to do yeah. is this you know what i yeah. mean but <laughs> It if you feels, read any I wish comment, it, you know that. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. You know, and you just got to put that shit aside. Like, whatever. There's yeah. keyboard warriors, and that's fine. But uh, it's just one of those things, man, where it just seems so apparent after you watch it after the fact. But like at the end of the day, you're just dealing with what's coming at you in real time. Um, and sometimes that stuff just seems so apparently obvious later on, and that that bothers me. Mm. I just watch it and I just get pissed. I'm like, God, I suck. You know what I mean? Or like, I did something cool. I'm like, all right, go me. You know. Um, but I'm pretty hard on myself. I, I, I expect excellence and anything else is unacceptable in my opinion, you know, and I'll be the first one to admit when I make a mistake, I'm not, I'm not a blame it on the car guy. I just, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm fully okay with accepting my, my faults. And if I make mistakes, I think that that's really, really important for growing as a driver is just like looking in the mirror and be like, yo, you fucked up, dude. Like that ain't nobody else's fault, but yours, you know? And I think yeah. that that's, that's part of progressing and, and uh, I just, I just hate, you know, I hate the excuses, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't drive as much as I should, for sure. I don't have a sim. I don't do that. Mm. Uh, I should, but yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't drive enough, in my opinion. I mean, you were, you were at a grid life a couple weeks ago, so that's, that's definitely some good seat time. That's good seat time, absolutely, for sure. That's really good seat time, and the car is pretty similar now. It's okay. a four-speed dog box, quick change, like five hundred-ish horsepower, uh, three-liter M50 in that car, so it's. It boogies. You could find yourself, you know, getting yourself into some trouble if you, if you don't know how to handle a car like that. Like, yeah, I feel like people these days just well, they'll bat an eye at a five hundred horsepower. Like, yeah, I don't know. A five hundred horsepower is a lot of power. Like, people don't. I don't really think people understand. Like, everybody makes a thousand these days. So, like, the thousand yeah. is like the new norm. We're jaded. But like, if we're you really, you were, we're all super mm. jaded. So, if you get in a five hundred horsepower car and just hold that thing to the floor the whole time, like, all of a sudden you're doing well over a hundred. Like, yeah. pretty freaking quick. So, you got to respect the power. Um, but yeah, I, I don't drive enough, but, uh, I'm working on it. I'm trying. That's good. Uh, so as a, as a fellow, uh, diesel drifting enthusiast, I want to pick your brain about this because, um, especially seeing like the, what the black smoke racing guys are kind of doing now and they're progressing in competition level drifting. And, and we're starting to see, hopefully, I mean, going over to Europe, you see diesel drift cars all the time, but as somebody who yeah. has been able to drive a high horsepower diesel drift car, as well as an FD level diesel drift or D, FD car, do you think we will get to a point where we will see a diesel FD car? Hmm, probably. I would I would love to see it. I'd love to be the dude to do it just as a publicity stunt, whether Fair. it's competitive or not. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, just because it's cool. 
I don't know. Yeah. I've always just been, a, I've always been a diesel guy. I've had a bunch of Power Strokes and Cummins and a bunch of different trucks. I've always liked it. Um, but to me, this this car, the, the, my diesel wagon doesn't make nearly enough power. Like right. I've never dynered it. It's a fully mechanical setup on it. Um, so it's literally just like a 10 mil nut on the side of the injection. It's so belt great. Like, what you can do with those. It's comical. It's, it's absolutely so comical. So you have your, your boost screw and then your, your smoke screw. Pre, your smoke screw. So it's yeah. like how much fuel it has before boost and then how much fuel it has on boost. So like yeah. a lot of people don't know that that car has no ECU, no throttle body, uh, no wiring whatsoever. If you took that engine out and set it on the ground, you ran power to the starter and ran the fuel line into a bucket of diesel fuel, it will run. run. Like yeah. no intake manifold, no exhaust, no turbo, no nothing. It, do, it do will just a, run. Do you have a runaway flap on it at least? I don't actually, you know, I, I probably <laughs> should, but I don't know. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, but I do have the, the way that the injection pump works is there's, there's a lever on the side of it where it will essentially kill vacuum to the injection pump, which will okay. end up killing the fuel to it. The only way that it would run away is if it started running on its own oil. If it started pulling um, oil. Yeah. Which could that, happen. That, which could happen. Yeah, it could happen, which I, I probably should put some sort of like emergency flap on it. Um, I just haven't got there yet. <laughs> But uh, it, it it doesn't it doesn't make enough power to, to be an FD. But Dino tells me like just riding it, it feels like four four fifty maybe, yeah. which is good power. Don't get me wrong, but that's not you know pro one level. I think that I you could probably turn it up and spray a bunch of nitrous at it, um, and you could probably run it at the pro spec level with that tire. I think it would be actually probably decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at pro one, I I just don't know if it would be really competitive at least with the engine I have. Um, the new ones that are coming out, the M57, um, yeah, and the uh, the OM. What are they? Six one threes. Yeah, six one five. I think one of the six one five. We talked yeah. about it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. The Black Smoke guys, like they they went and competed over the weekend and like yeah. shredding, killing it. They were like, keeping it. And they said that yeah. yeah, and they said that that thing makes like you know seven or eight hundred or whatever it is. Um, so I think with the, with the OM six hundred six. Maybe, you know, if you're doing some like really tuned in compound turbo setup on it with a bunch of nitrous or propane injection or whatever you whatever you want to throw at it, I think it's possible. Um, but I still think that you might have like one hand tied behind your back because it's it's these diesels are weird. And it's gearing too. Like the, the rev range is so limited that like yep. just you're yep. you're gonna have to row gears on tracks that nobody else is having to. Yeah, and it's it's very laggy, which I did not anticipate. So here's yeah. my thought process on the whole thing. I was like, okay. Three liter two JZ. I had a Garrett G thirty five ten fifty on it. Okay. Um, that was my first year running the two J. Did eight fifty wheel horsepower on thirty one pounds of boost. I was like, okay, three liter ten to one compression. That's about the right size turbo for my diesel. This the diesel is three liter inline six twenty five to one compression. I was yeah. like, oh, I should spool this thing no problem. Put it on there, and it was the most miserable thing I've ever driven. It was so laggy I couldn't even drive it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how, how does this? How does this make sense? And then so I ended up taking the old turbo off my E36, was a G25 550, which is a little guy, yeah. little turbo, and put it on there, and it's a blast. It gets down. Like I feel like it pulls harder for longer now just because the turbo was on sooner. Uh, we were kind of learning this as we go because I was like, I've done like a little bit of diesel stuff and not like swapping turbos and shit, diesel stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so they're just, it's inherently laggy, which like really surprised me, the 25 to 1 compression. So I don't know why it does that, but that just kind of seems to be the way it is. <laughs> We uh, we ran a 175 shot on the 4BT in, in my other diesel drift car. And like that was the only way, same thing. And it would run that up until like 10 pounds. And then it really? would lean off at that point. 
It was the only way to get it to do, like, low end was fine, but it just wouldn't get the wheel speed up quick enough. Right, and, right. And, and it wouldn't, a, it, it would always like, yeah. and it would like pull and, its way up through, like, I want it now, you and know? And clutch kicks don't work the same way. Like it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't pull it up. Like it's, it is very weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not just like talking out my ass here no, to hear that no. you were running 175 shot and still dealing with lag. I'm like, okay, cool. Like yeah. it's not just me. Yeah. It's, it's such a different time. It's, it's, I don't know. I, it's, I'm, I'm a very, I very much want to drive another diesel drift car. I bought that Chevette that we talked about. Like that's, yeah. I don't know if that'll ever be a drift car. Cause like it would need so much to, to do that. But, uh, I don't know. It, it, I would say every like, Two months. I'm like, I need to build another diesel drift car. I just have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what, what happened to your uh, your 4BT one? Uh, it was a raffle car, so we built it as like a uh, charity project. Uh, it was a okay. 4BT uh, into a Mazda Miata. I don't know. It, it, it went pretty big there for a little bit. Um, Sick. Yes, yeah, so we we built it. Uh, sold a bunch of raffle tickets and then donated the money to local high school to help with their shop program. And then, yeah, raffled it off to a guy. So Sick. it was, uh, that's it was awesome. Pretty, yeah, it was, it was nuts. I'm, I'm honored to be able to have driven it. And part of me wants to build another one. Not a Miata though. That was silly. Uh, that's a humbling chassis, dude. Those things very are, much so. Very much <laughs> those so. Are it was humbling. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I always toy around with it. I bought an RX-8 at one point to, to diesel swap that. And then, Another chassis that's okay, but not great. And everyone's like, just buy an E36 and put something diesel in that. Like, I don't know. I don't know the I time. Mean, <laughs> they fit nice. I'll tell you that. I know. <laughs> they, I know. they do other, fit well. You, other than adapting the trans, right? <laughs> other than adapting the trans, man, that was a bitch. But I think I kind of shot myself on the foot on that one. I was like, I got to put a four speed in it. It'll break anything else. It's got so much yeah. torque. And which probably is the truth, but I think I definitely made way more work for myself than I needed to. But uh, so that one has a. Uh, it has a steel adapter that bolts in the back of the engine for a diesel uh, ZF transmission that yep. only comes in Europe. I put a J3 bell housing on that, an automatic 2JZ bell housing with a Forest Wang billet adapter. Um, adapted that to that, so like drilled my own uh, my own dowel pins, and then like have like some crazy custom ACT clutch in it. That's like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And uh, it, yeah, it, it's pretty silly, but it, I definitely have like two weeks like of like every day trying to like make this thing work. But uh, at the end of the day, it works now, and and yeah. it's, the cars their cars are blast, dude. It is it is super fun. Um, I think it'd be really cool is a publicity stunt or not just to go and run it in prospect, like rig up some nitrous on it, figure out your turbo sizing perfectly, and just go yeah. and run it in prospect <clears throat> and just like see what you can do. I think that would be an absolute blast. Can you run both? I don't. I don't. I know there was a time where guys would run run both. They just run like four pro rounds. I think I want to say like Alec Robbins. Yeah, did Jeff it. Jones did it. Jeff, Jeff Jones, Jones did, it. did it. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple yeah. guys that did it. I I think Brian Literal did it too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I feel that uh, that rings a bell. Yeah, or at that least rings a, a bell. Like one or two rounds. They would do like they would do pro, any of the pro two rounds at the time, and they would do the four pro rounds, and they would run that whole weekend. Right. I feel like Alec Robbins did. I could be wrong though. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you'd be allowed to. That'd be sick though. I don't know how that would fit in a rule book. If but. you could now, yeah, right. Just show up with two cars and just like, I don't Why know. Not? That'd be wild, dude. That would be wild. That would be pretty sick, actually. I mean, Damn. yeah. I, hmm. Next year, let's see it happen, man. <laughs> I'll bring the diesel car. I'll be like, all right, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that'd be sick. <laughs> it's already on the trailer. Why not, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It would. It would be like uh, FD would hype it up, being like, "There's another fuel 
NFD. Oh, I know. It would, it would be like it'd a come new up power in SEMA. Yeah, it'd come up in SEMA yeah. at that pref- yeah. press conference. It'd be like, wait, people are on methanol now? And people are on like, <sighs> what? what is it? What is it? You're yeah. like, that's diesel. People are like, We've oh. done electric. We've done gas. Now we're doing yeah, plank. Right. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> oh, Rocket man. fuel diesel. Yeah. Right now, for the podcast listeners only, we're offering $5 off each ticket purchased on Formula Drift website by using FD Podcast when you check out. That is FD Podcast. I don't know if you need to capital the FD, but try it either way. So head over to formuladrift.com, pick up the tickets, then enter code FD Podcast, get $5 off all eight events this year. It's our 20th season. Head over. If you're going, save five bucks. Might as well. So how was how was the jump for you? Coming from, I mean, I I, I want to get into the the situation, but like, we'll we'll get to the Huddy thing in a minute. I'll prepare you for that now. What was the jump like for you outside of that from pro to up into pro? Was it as big as you thought it was going to be? Was it more difficult, less difficult? It was about what I expected. It was. It's gnarly. It's it's gnarly for sure. It, it's a big jump. Where like I think that you, if you're a consistent driver in pro spec. Um, you can somewhat win an event or maybe several battles off of your lead. If you okay. can put the car exactly where it needs to be in the lead and you can run some decent tandem and you're just super consistent, you can podium um, in, in pro spec. And then into pro one, like what we were talking about a minute ago, like everybody's good. There's nobody that's just going to hand you a win. doesn't matter who it is. Everybody's good at this day and age. So it was it was about what I expected, but... Um, I just adapted the E46 chassis pretty quick. I just fell in love with it. I was like, man, if this thing had a little bit more power, this thing would be really, really good. But you know, I I, I thought that at the time, and then I go back and I watch some of my battles from from back in the day, and I think that my leads were were decent, but my chase wasn't anywhere even in the ballpark of where it needed to be, and that was very apparent very quick. Um, so that's been definitely my my biggest uh my biggest learning curve moving up into pro one was just just how close everybody runs all the time. Uh, it, it was honestly about what I expected, uh, to be honest with you. And then you throw in the drama on top of that of you know behind the scenes team stuff. It made it extra difficult. But yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, dude, I was just so stoked to be there. The fact that I was even running in Pro One was like the ultimate dream come true, and something that I had been working for for you know seven years, six, seven years probably. So the fact that it even happened at all, I was like, if I just get to do this and I never get to do it again, then I was like, check that off the list. Like I'm stoked. Um, so it it was it, it's gnarly it it's gnarly you know double the rounds sometimes double the horsepower double the tire yeah. size like you yeah. know double the less amount of proximity between the cars and you know everybody expects perfection it's pro one man like there's yeah. y- you go watch qualifying in Orlando and it's just like yep everybody shreds you know so yeah, yeah you got to have your shit together that's for damn sure and and triple the cost too like I, it's not even of double course. the cost it's 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 more than that cuz it's so much more wear and tear it's it's so much more travel like it's logistics it's team members hotels yeah. uh it's Food. yeah it's a lot food's like the one Food. not, like nobody talks about it's like that's nobody what i feel like it. that kills so many teams that like they're like yeah it's like what is it and it's it's a couple hundred bucks and it's like no cuz like it's yeah. two to three meals and snacks for three or four days. Like it's a lot. Yeah, for three or four bros as well. And it's yeah. like the the food is is the the one thing that is so important because that is the biggest uh, like morale booster. If all right. the boys are fed, everybody's fat They're and happy. Like they got they got no problem working on cars. They got no problem busting their ass until late at night. Whatever we got to do. But if everybody's malnourished and moping around, it's a hundred degrees out, and you haven't eaten all day, and you're just like 
that's how people end up getting in like screaming matches and yeah. you know, we've all heard stories of around the pits dramas and uh so yeah it's it's really important it really is like budget for it like actually budget for it because it is expensive especially yeah. nowadays yeah yeah it's not it's not getting any cheaper and you can't just keep no. forcing them with chick-fil-a like that's you know you got to do a little bit yeah more it's like that. a good morning thing and the boys are like down it's like a treat whatever and then you know come the middle of the day they're like they want something something else yeah. you know so i'm very lucky my my mom helps with that a lot like she she's got everybody lit up with the snacks and she's on top of it with the food and everything and i think that's absolutely detrimental for morale for sure yeah all right let's let's get into the tough subject let's let's talk about huddy because i think that's um the the fact that you drove as well as you did during that season and and put up with that that's a that's that's an incredible feat um to itself uh i i don't know what you can talk about um i can explain what i know or what i think i know and we can go from there uh so and and please correct me if any of this is is incorrect uh i'm basically i'm, I'm an open book man full transparency yeah. I, don't, I don't care we we could talk about the whole thing i am not <laughs> i don't i don't have anything to hide like i'll, I'll tell yeah. you the whole dirty details <laughs> well so from my understanding obviously Hadi had a bit of a reputation they they had done some work with a couple of drivers uh i don't think things with Alec Honadale were working out quite that well. You were in a situation where you were with Forsberg wanting to make the jump. Uh, obviously, that's tough. You know, there's probably a, a cost associated with running specifically with Forsberg, but you were also in a situation where it's like, I want Dylan Hughes racing. I want my own thing. I want to be able to do this. How do you situation comes up? From my understanding, they own the car. You were working for it. And then, you know, beginning of the season, my assumption is promises that they made weren't kept. And then, you know, it, it, a lot of it came out of your pocket, friend's pocket, dad's pocket, everybody's pocket. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Huddy deal was, uh, I can't really speak on behalf of the Honda part, you know, wh- right. whatever, whatever ended up happening with them. I'm not sure. All I know is I got a call one day from, uh, I was working with Chris and Ryan and myself doing the blackout show with Kinnan was filming and producing it. Um, so I had a relationship with Kinnan. He was the one who got me like my first real sponsor, I guess you could call it. I went and ran Motegi Super Drift in my 240. I got like a couple grand to like, you know, put an advanced auto parts sticker on the door of the car. And that nice. was like my first taste of like, oh, we're putting stickers on the car. Like, sweet, this is great. Um, so basically it was like, hey, there's like some drama going down between Huddy and, and Honadale. Like, sounds like they might need a driver. And I was like, All right, I'm not going to get too excited about this, but this is really cool. And then literally it was one day, I think Chris and I were at the airport. I don't know if we were flying to China. I'm pretty sure we were flying to China when he was competing over there. And like, I get a text from Ken and he's just like, if you're up for it, like, welcome to Pro One. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, that's crazy. I cried on the spot, literally. Damn. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, so basically they were like, all right, well, like, you know, it's not all, it's not all perfect. Like you got to go down and help work on the car. I was like, done. It was down in San Diego. I was living in Lake Elsinore at the time. So it was about, it was over an hour each way to commute and I was happy to do it. I was supposed to be getting like hundred bucks a day to go down there and work, which yeah. I was totally fine with. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, we started working I get down, I see the car for the first time and I'm, I'm just like, Phew, this thing is like they powder coated the chassis and the chassis was like 30% ready for powder coat. In my opinion, it was just like. Ooh. Nothing was ready. It was just like, and I thought powder coating car was a terrible idea. Um, there was a lot of things that I didn't love about it, but I was like, and that was like my very first time seeing it. And I was like, all right, whatever, like we'll make it happen. So um, start going down there every day, working on it, um, trying to like work my magic on it and do my thing. And then Huddy kind of started getting a little bit spotty, like kind of hard to get a hold of. And mm. he said he ordered the parts and never showed up. And then it was like, you know, like where's this money I'm supposed to be getting paid? 
And then I was just like, fuck the money. I don't even care. Like, I'm just doing this just to do it. Uh, just because I wanted to run pro one. I was like, don't care about my day rate. Fuck it. So yeah. kept working on the car. It started getting closer and closer. All of a sudden it's December. All of a sudden it's January. All of a sudden it's February. I'm just like, bro, where are these parts at? Like, I need some money so we can go and, and buy stuff. Like, give me your card. I got to buy shit. We got to get this stuff going. We need a quick change. We need a dog box. We need a clutch. We need oh, like big need stuff. Parts. Big stuff, right? Big stuff. So I'm like, we, we need parts. And uh, he's kind of giving me through the ring around and then like he's like stop showing up so i'm like sitting down there at like 9 a.m like i said i was going to be there how he's nowhere to be found i'm blowing his phone up can't find him can't find him i'm like sitting out there till like 11 Huddy finally rolls up i'm just like bro where the fuck you been like you're the only one that has the keys to the shop like i can't even work on this car it's now february 10th on my birthday and like long beach is coming right up and this car's a long ways off in my opinion mm. i know how long stuff takes to do i've been building cars at this point for a while i'm like we need to jam on this thing. So I ended up flying one of my buddies. Actually, Chase Schmidt came down to help me work on the car. I flew him down. My dad was down helping me work on the car because Huddy was just basically useless at this point. Like he, it would be hard pressed for him to show up and unlock the shop, you know. Um, you know, and and Huddy's got his own demons. You know what I mean? Like I, I was very salty for a long time to the point where I was just like, I had terrible thoughts about him. Like I, I wanted yeah. to like find him and like if I saw him at a gas station, I swore I'd go up and just punch him out cold or something. I don't know. It, it was all, it was all bad. Um, I've since matured, but, um, <laughs> at, the, at, at, at the time it was just like, I just felt so robbed. Like I just felt like I knew he got money to do it. And I think he was spending the money on something else. And that was just so, so such a betrayal to me, you know, yeah. he, and he was just like, well, I gotta like buy this other stuff so that like we, I get this business going. Once this business is going, we're good. Once this business is going, we're good. He kept saying this. I'm just like, dude, I feel like you're a drug addict. <laughs> and uh, no, literally. And so like one day he like finally shows up super late, unlocks the shop. And I'm just like asking him all these questions. Like, what's up with this bell housing? Did you order it? What's up with this drive shaft? What's up with, you know, all these different Motec bits, parts and all this stuff for the car. And he's just like, you just, you just got to give me a minute. And he just like gets in his car and drives away. And I'm just like, where is this dude going? I'm like, what, what is happening? So I like jump on this little motorcycle and like follow him out to the street. And he goes and like parks down the street for like five minutes. I'm just watching him like sit there and he doesn't know I'm watching him. And he like turns around and comes back. And then like one day he like comes out of the bathroom with blood running down his nose and you know, whatever, like whatever, yeah. crazy times. So he was unreliable at best. Um, and then we ended up going up to Long Beach and I was just tired, man. I had been thrashing on this car for months and months. So like, it's funny looking back at Long Beach, I can even like see my, I look frail and weak. Like I've been jamming on this car, running myself in the ground, trying to make this thing happen. Um, and he just didn't really seem to give a shit, and that was like that was that was a bummer. So we ended up breaking the car. It was a it was a, a measurement was wrong on the bell housing, and it ended up um, breaking the transmission in half. Like literally, it split the whole case in half on the transmission. The car slid to a stop. We didn't qualify. Um, and then the next round, you know, we had to go all the way across the country, and then he like showed up late on that one, so I missed some practice. And I was like, okay, like we're we're in pro one, we're just doing this, you know. And then it got like throughout later later throughout the season, we showed up to Texas. We miss an entire day of practice because, like, me and the boys are all there. You know, my dad was like helping cover some of the plane tickets and hotels and stuff like that at the time. Um, and like, me and the boys are there at the track just waiting for the rig to show up. We have no idea where Huddy's at, like, or if he's even going to show up. So it's like me, Kenan, my dad, my buddy Clark, a couple of dudes were all just like, everybody's out there practicing. I'm just in the stands watching. And uh, he show up on like you know Friday morning of qualifying, and I would just line up straight in the chase line right before right before qualifying because it'd be my first laps of the weekend and. We go out there and qualify with like two laps under our belt or less, you know. 
so like fun stuff like that. It, it was about Texas in 2019. I realized that I was like, I'm done with this. Like I can't yeah. have anybody else running my program. Like I wanted to be the arrive and drive guy and that just wasn't going to happen. And I knew I had to build my own car. And that's when uh, randomly I was over at Rad Dan's shop and I ended up, Aaron Eusebi, uh, I shot that on Instagram, photographer guy. Yeah. Um, we were like hanging out, chatting. He was shooting Dan's cars. I was like, man, I really, I really need to build my own BMW. Like, I, I got to find a chassis. And he was like, oh, well, like, my mom's got one. And I was like, well, show me a photo. He's like, yeah, I don't know. It was a two door, perfectly clean, like mom driven its whole life. It had like a crease above the left rear tire. And I was like, I'm going to wide body this thing anyway. I don't care. Yeah. <clears throat> so he had it, ended up working out. I showed out there with a thousand bucks. I put a new battery in it and drove it home. And then just yanked it to pieces and started building the car around Texas 2019. And luckily for me, COVID, COVID ended up happening because I needed a little bit of extra time to, to get that car going. But the best part about the whole Huddy deal is the silver lining in the whole thing is um, at the end of the day, like when I told everybody, like, you know, whatever the deal went down at Irwindale, he didn't show up. And I was literally planning on stealing the car, honestly, after that. <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to qualify. I was like, if he showed up to that round, I was going to get in that car. I was going to qualify and I was going to drive that bitch out the racetrack to a waiting trailer. Like we had this whole plan. I was like, I'm going to steal what? this car. Because he owed us so much money at the time, like right. we had, uh, we had bought so many parts for the car. He owed a lot of people money at the time. Brian Hartsock, Ryan Turk Spotter, he still owed him like fifteen thousand dollars for Motec parts and wiring harnesses, and he promised that he would pay back all these plane tickets and stuff. My dad was fronting, you know, differentials and transmissions and all this crazy shit. So he owed a wow. lot of people a lot of money. So I was like, "Fuck it, this car's mine," <laughs> and I built the whole thing anyway. Yeah, like yeah. we literally did everything to it. So. The car never showed up, so we ended up wrapping my 240, and we stuck it in the parking lot because it didn't make ne- it was like 500 wheel, you know, it wasn't nearly competitive. So yeah. we put it in the parking lot, tried to represent our sponsors the best we could, and um, yeah, so I was building the car or building the the 2JZ car, and um, yeah, the the good part about it, like I said, the silver lining was that we were like, hey, all this crazy shit happened, um, but everybody that I hit up, I was like, hey, I'm building my own car, I'm running my own program. Every single person that I hit up was like, you got fucked, like anything you need. Yeah. And that was just so unbelievably like, it was just like, man, like there, there is right in the world. I just felt so robbed by the whole deal, you know? Like it, it, it sounds like maybe foolish or maybe like very privileged to be like, oh, I like the deal with shit. Like I was still driving Pro One in somebody else's car that like it didn't cost me a lot of money. So I'm very lucky in that sense. But the cool part about it was everybody that I talked to was super cool and was like all the companies were really willing to like step up and help with like parts, whatever. And we ended up building this to me, like the perfect D46. And that's my current competition car. So that's why I say that I've matured in like wanting to fight Huddy. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like I don't know where he's at. I don't know where that car's at. I don't know where the parts are. Yeah, I don't know where he lives. I don't know if he's married still. I don't know where his kids are. I don't. Yeah, I just, it's, I just, it's done. I walked away. I walked away, yeah. and I was just like, you know what? Like, if I was, if I saw him now, I would just be like, holy shit, dude! Like, you're alive. Like, I would just yeah. be like, dude, where, where have you? Like, what has your life been like since I saw you last? Because no phone calls, no text messages, not one single bit of communication with him since before Irwindale 2019, which wow. is crazy. Super, super crazy. So yeah, just a, a crazy series of events. But like, you know, like uh, it is what it is, man. It's crazy. It's crazy yeah. to even talk about it. I don't talk about it that often, but yeah, it was a wild deal, man. It was a crazy thing. I just never felt so like taken advantage of and just like, it just, it just didn't feel right, you know? But at the end of the day, like I feel like I came out on top. So yeah, it is what it is. I, I mean, the positive is is the 
press and publicity and notoriety that kind of came from it. It's it's a shit situation, obviously, but like <clears throat> the entire automotive industry knew about it. It's not, yeah. it wasn't just drifting. Like it was, yeah. everybody was talking about it. Yeah. And then, you know, now you're in this position where all these companies now have a massive amount of respect for you because it's like, you went through all this and still kept driving and still showed up and got, you know, your backup car wrapped and, and, and made it to the event. And like, I think that alone shows so much character that like, you go to a brand after them seeing you go through all this and it's like, yeah, I know this guy's cool because he just dealt with this situation. And yeah. came out of it smiling. Like you didn't throw <laughs> you didn't throw him under the bus. You had an opportunity at the time to like shit on him, and you literally said like, "Oh, a personal situation." Like, yeah. uh, which which is an easy. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to so bad. Like the post that I had I originally read up, I was just like, "Fuck this dude!" Like all this different shit. <laughs> and then Ken and I like took a step back and sat down and really like wrote out like a decent post and uh, let the internet do its job. Man, they tore and they him. did. Oh, they oh, did. Man. I, and that's why, like, the best part about it was I didn't have to say a word. Everybody already knew, and that's what was pretty yeah. crazy about it to me. And that's why I like re fell in love with the car industry because everybody knew. Like, n- nobody's dumb. Everybody has seen his past uh, and the things that have happened. And um, yeah. you know, I, I, I honestly, at this day, like, I hope he's doing okay as a person. You know, like, thank you for the opportunity for sure. Because now I yeah. can look back on it and be like, that that was a stepping stone for me, and I'm thankful for it because that's just part of the journey. You know, and that, yeah. that's what it's all about to me is just like. Just, I knew at the time I would look back on it and be able to be like laugh about it, you know. But at the time, it was just like, God, yeah. this sucks so yeah. bad. And now I look back on it, and I'm just like, man, what a time! That was awesome. <laughs> like, I'm almost glad I went through it because I'm just like, never say die. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're we're doing this, and there's nothing that will stop us. And that's just the attitude we had all year. And I think that was the only thing that kept us kept us afloat and keeping us going. You know, and even into building the new car, it took me seven months. I just built a car. Like just built one for Long Beach year before, and then here I am in Texas a couple months later. I'm like, all right, here we go again. And it was yeah. seven months every single day working on my current E46. And by the end of the project, I was exhausted again. But like now, I have like one of the coolest E46s in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's just you got to work hard, man. I, the 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 biggest turning point for me was like I realized that nobody's going to build me a race car, and if you yeah. don't have a race car, you're just a dude. Like you need a pro drift car to go pro drifting. So like as silly as that sounds, like you're just a dude standing there if you don't have a car and like yeah. nobody's going to build you a car. Nobody's going to come knocking on your door and be like, hey, like I think that you might have what it takes. Like you just got you, you got to figure that shit out on your own unless you can pay MA Motorsports to build you one, which I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people can't. So like if you want to go do race car things, you got to build yourself a race car. <laughs> and that process sucks sometimes, but I don't know. It's kind of fun too. There, there's a phrase that actually my wife started saying a lot. Like anytime we're in a, a shitty situation, she'll just like look at me and she's like, well, it adds to the plot. And I'm like, what? She's like, it adds to the <laughs> plot. Like it makes, it's a good I story. Like, like yeah. she's like, we know we're going to laugh about this in like a year. And, yep. and, and in a year from now, it won't mean anything. But right now it sure. means everything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, I love that. I think that's, that's, that's exactly right. And I think if you can have that mentality coming into mm-hmm. it, like bigger picture, like, yeah. I'm going to learn from this and there ain't a damn thing I can do about it. It is what yeah. it is, you know? So just roll with the punches and roll with a smile on your face and you just, you just gotta, you, you gotta laugh at it. That's all you can do. It's the only way to keep your sanity, you know? So that's yeah. great. <laughs> that, no, it's, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm glad I, I, I mean, for me, when it happened, I dove into it pretty heavily. I was one of those people on the forums like, okay, who is this guy? What's his background? Where did he get? Like, I mean, it's just what I enjoy. The research is what I love. So I was like, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. And it's good to understand now, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, kind of that, what, what transpired. I did the, 
the stealing the race car thing gets me because that's that's hilarious. Oh, was, that bitch was mine. I was that's, just like, we had I had a whole plan. I was just like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go qualify. I'm gonna pull right off the track. I'm gonna drive right by him unless he dives in front of the car. And I was just gonna drive it straight out of the racetrack onto that road in front of Irwindale and just, just drive it down the street the and have somebody come and get me. Yeah. That was my plan. It really was. And it, it didn't work. It would have been epic though. If I could have got away with that, that'd have been the sickest thing ever. <laughs> Italian job style shit right there. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It was I I'd never been like so nervous because like if that car showed up, I was like, all right, here we go. And the car just yeah, never showed it. up. So I was like, oh dang it, but whatever. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> yeah. So what do you outside of the driving, what has been the most difficult part of kind of becoming a professional motorsports athlete at this point? Probably the I think just uh, just the road getting here, like yeah. driving aside, the driving is difficult for sure. But I, I always the driving kind of came to me fairly naturally. Um, I think because of that dirt bike background, you know, I I I, li- I joke with people and I say that it's like eighty percent businessman, ten percent like floor sweeper, yeah, and then like <laughs> the the rest is race car driver. You know what I mean? We get to go play race car on the weekends and that's all cool. But a lot of it is business. Um, putting out fires as they come up. We like to say that around the shop all the time. It's just there's constantly uh, some fire. Somebody needs something. Something is 911. We have to address this right now or else it's not going to get done, which means it doesn't make this event, yada, yada, yada. So I think the business side of it is probably the most difficult part in getting everything set up to the point where you can even go drifting, you know? Because it's it's so much money. It's so much time involved in building a car, the logistics of it. Like, it's like, okay, cool. Now you have a pro drift car, like, what are you going to drive it to the events? So, like you still need a $90,000 truck and it doesn't have to be, but yeah, uh, a, a, a truck and a trailer, something reliable that I can get in and drive from Southern California to Florida. Like that's yeah. not a short distance. The United States is massive. So it's just, just the, the whole business side of it and the logistics and the whole thing. And there's so many moving pieces and trying to keep sponsors happy as well as, you know, trying to get parts for discounted rates, you know, with <laughs> working with sponsors and, <clears throat> The sponsor side of it is is probably one of the most difficult things, and making sure you're on top of deliverables and not burning bridges. And you know, you never want to be the drift guy that that burned the bridge um, that gives all the drifters the bad name. You know, there's like some companies just won't even touch drifting anymore because of they've been burned before. And yeah, not to say it happens, but like stuff slips through the cracks, or you know, you have like a huddy situation where stuff gets kind of kind of slippery and kind of sticky and, and kind of mm-hmm. shitty. But um, I, the business part of it is difficult, man. It's 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 a lot. It's it's a lot. I mean, it's constant. Like, there's no. I don't. I don't do vacations. Like every vacation I go to is like grid life. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is an yeah. FD. Like, this is sweet. You know. So it's the business side of it is gnarly for sure. And then you know, taxes is always fun. That's always due right around Long Beach. And I like, yeah. It's always it it always everything comes to a head at once. You know what I mean? It'll never be like, oh, this is like perfectly spread out, and I have an even workload all the time. It's just like mm-hmm. everything's gonna hit at once and it's going to be a shit show for a little while and then you're going to kind of sit there for a little while. So the business side of it is tricky, you know, and I'm not, I'm not very tech savvy and, you know, taxes, obviously. I'm just like, hey, somebody help. I like, I, I don't know, yeah. man. Like I'll yeah. build, I'll, if, if I can touch something with my hands, I can fix it. I can make it. I can do whatever if I can touch it. But like in a computer, I can't touch anything. I'm just like, I don't, it's, there's so many different layers. I just, yeah. it does not compute, you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, it's just tough, man. You know, I don't know. I feel like every time I come up to Long Beach, I'm like doing the taxes and like all this different stuff. I'm just like, oh my God, I fucking hate this. <laughs> my least favorite time of the year is like February to April. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a rough go. I mean, between prep and logistics and booking and like you said, taxes and yeah. just making sure everything's good to go and hopefully the car's right and everything. Right, all the fun correctly. stuff. 
And then yeah. like for us this year, we had some crazy engine anomalies where we ended up losing two motors in preseason testing, which is like right. never happened. Never, ever happened. Now, I had a running 2JZ at the end of every year. Mm. I built one, put it in the car, dynoed it, ran it all eight rounds with media days, test days, everything in between, had a running car at the end of uh, every year. Um, and then we were, you know, everything was the same, same blocks, same heads, same ECU, same tuner, same machine shop, same engine builder, same everything, and we just started losing them. Um, and we did two of them where we thought we were pretty much ready about a month before uh, FD Long Beach this year. Um, lost one, and I was like, okay, we run these motors pretty hard, I can't be mad at it, and then we did it again. Identical thing, identical runtime, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just really set us back. Like that was, we were in frantic mode, like um, right before Long Beach, and that was that was definitely threw a wrench in the works because we were like, we're early. I, we hired Carlos full time at the beginning of the year. Carlos is like one of the best things that ever happened in my program. Um, Kenan and I are working better and better every day, getting everything more and more streamlined on the business side of it, and um, it just threw us a big curveball. And, and just stuff like that is where I say that everything comes to a head. It's not just. Um, it's not just doing your taxes. It's not just prepping yeah. the car. It's not just dealing with sponsors. It's all of them at once. So that's where it all it all gets gnarly for sure. Um, so that's probably the hardest hardest part about stepping up into the pro level is just the, the business side of it, in my opinion. Hmm. What what's it been like having to talk about yourself? Like how what's that transition like? Because it's that's kind of like another part that that it can't be easy, right? Yeah, like the whole thing about like talking on camera. If you don't like doing that, then race car driver is probably not a good job for you. Like that's just the <laughs> world that we live in. And and if you don't like the sound of your voice when you hear yourself, which I still don't, but you just get used to it and you yeah. just deal with it. And then talking about yourself, like I try and keep it as relatable as I possibly can because at the end of the day, everybody that's watching it is just like, I want to see what you're feeling. And yeah. to me, that that that's what I think, and that's kind of how I try and and when I talk on camera or I talk to somebody or about myself or whatever. I just say how I feel straight up. I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm stoked or I'm bummed or I'm smiling because I am stoked or I just try to show my emotions as much as I can. And just because I think that's what people want to see. They yeah. just want to see life through through my eyes or our eyes, I should say, as drivers. Um, and it, it always is kind of weird talking about yourself. You know what I mean? I, I've always been a humble person. I don't, I'm not a, I don't like to brag or whatever. Um so that's that's always kind of strange, you know. But mm-hmm. just like anything, you kind of get used to it, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. Before this call, I was I was kind of excited because you have some media training, but not a ton. And it's not like I was going in talking with Vaughn or Chris, who like they've spent years, decades being media trained. And I was kind of like, okay, I think Dylan's going to be a bit of a wild card. <laughs> um, but like, I also know that you can mind your p's and q's when you have to, but you're also you know, a little bit more uh, or a little bit less calculated than those guys are. So that's that was yeah. what I was like most excited. <laughs> yeah, I try and keep it pretty loosey-goosey. Like I, I try not to swear and everything. That doesn't it's always good. go to plan. But at the end <laughs> of the day, I feel like the world that we live in is very, anybody has access to anything at any time. Everybody's got a phone. So yeah. like at the end of the day, like I think that the whole like, how do I say this without? <laughs> See, this is it. This is where the media training comes yeah. in. Yeah. Like the the corporate like the corporate motto of just like um, 
perfect and proper and yeah perfect and proper and you know like people want to see you that's why Mm. YouTube is what it is because people go watch Adam LZ's videos and they watch every one of his videos for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours up to this point leading up to his journey they feel like they know him as a person they've seen him at his highest of highs and his lowest of lows and I think that's why a lot of people they feel like they genuinely know you and like at the end of the day if you want to genuinely know somebody people are going to swear people are going to mess up People mm-hmm. are going to say shit that they shouldn't have said. People are going to be emotional about something. People are going to have good days and bad days. So I think just being relatable and that being relatable is just being a human being. Just saying exactly how you feel in the time or what you were feeling, like especially on the track. Like I'll, I'll get out of the car, for example, like we rewatched the me versus Matt Field battle in Seattle last year. Mm-hmm. Um, watched it yesterday and like my interview afterwards was hilarious. I was just like, you know, the whole crowd was like doing what the crowd was doing and, and it was really cool. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really see it. I couldn't tell what was happening. All, Matt just hit me, and and that's all I know. Like, if yeah. my team wants to protest, and I support it a hundred percent, and just telling kind of people just how you feel and being honest, and and I don't know. Nobody likes a Debbie Downer as well. So maybe yeah. if 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 you are gonna err on the side of not being honest, just fucking smile. You know, you're like, eh. Like I could be kind of too. pissed about something. Yeah, you could be kind of pissed about something, but then I'm just like, eh, it's, is it really worth like talking shit on somebody? Like yeah. because you're fired up in the moment. Like no, just smile and be like, yeah, it is what it is. Because it is yeah. what it is, man. There ain't a damn thing you could do about it. Once it happens, it happens. Yeah, you can't. I think you can't that's anything in life. It. Yeah, I yeah, guess. and that's that's drifting. That's I mean, that's anything in life. You know. Yeah, can't go back in time. So what are you gonna do? So what's your, I guess, like, what's your ideal state moving forward? Where do you, where do you see the program? Where do you see you in like 10 years from now? That's a tough one, man. I've been, I've been digging real deep about that the past, the past, uh, really like the past couple of months and a little bit the past year, just trying to figure out what exactly is next, you know? And a lot of that's going to depend on what these other dudes do. The guys (laughs) who are, are my mentors, you know what I mean? Like straight up. Uh, I'm real curious to see what like Vaughn, Ryan, Chris, Osbo, you know, all these legends of the sport who've been doing it. Like they're a couple years ahead of us and just how I kind of came into the sport. I'm kind of like a little bit on their coattails, you know, like seeing yeah. kind of what they're doing and modifying it, putting my own little twist on it. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think in 10 years, I, I would probably like to be doing some sort of Hollywood stunt driving. Um, really? Because there's good money in it, man. Like you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like at the end of the day, money makes the world go around. Like is yeah. is it's just true. It's just how it is, you know. And I, I like my toys, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I always gonna and I'm always gonna like my toys. So I I think that um, that's a good way to stay relevant, stay sharp, be able to work on some really cool stuff, meet some really cool people, travel around, do some really cool stuff. Um, I've done like a couple of music videos. I did a Billie Eilish music video one time. Just really? as, as a very, very small driving part in it. Like the one where she's like walking down the middle of the road where the cars are like swerving around her. I don't even know what song it was, but I was one of those cars. I did a Travis Scott music video shoot um, uh, with Don Tolliver. was like ripping some donuts in a couple of Chris's cars. And so I've done some of that stuff and it's like an easy, it's easy. <laughs> like it's, compared to pro drifting, there's like yeah. no pressure, no stress. If you nail the shot the first time, great. You're even if you don't, you're gonna film it ten more times anyway. So yeah. like, what's the point of nailing it the first time? You know. So I think that it's easy. There's really good money if you can get a part of the SAG program. Um, maybe not right now because it's, 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 it's a little, little squirrely right now. Striky stuff going on. Yeah, yeah it's a little squirrely right now. But mm-hmm. I think they'll get their shit figured out. I I think that that could be cool, or or even you know, I, I I'm interested in so many different things. You know, like I always I always thought flying was the coolest thing ever when I was growing up. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot in the army. That obviously didn't come to fruition, but 
I think flying's cool. I I think boats are cool. I think cars are cool. I think stunt driving's cool. I mean, there's just so many things that I want to do. But I think as far as as a career, like probably living somewhere like out in the middle of nowhere and just flying into LA when I have to, I can mm. probably see myself doing something like that or you know some sort of TV show host of some sort. You know, like I I, I always talked about like wanting to do like a Top Gear type thing um, would be would be really cool. Like a host where you can go and you can show up and make money with just yourself instead of yeah. bringing thirty tires and a race car and a truck and trailer and yada yada yada. Um, some acting would be cool. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And uh, I just think that it'd be really cool to be able to, to do some some Hollywood stuff. Like Tanner Faust, he lives right down the street from me. And I was fortunate enough to spend some time with him. He used to take us out on his boat with Forsberg and everything. And we talk about kind of what he's got going on and, and some of his deals. And it's just like, whoa, that shit's sick. <laughs> yeah. So, he, you know, he really, he's, he's all dressed up like John Wick and everything. Like that, that would be so cool. Like if you weren't racing, like that would be so cool. Just being a part of big movies and massive productions and making a bunch of money doing it. Like, That'd be sick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, dude, I can see that. I mean, there's there's so much stress in, involved with the actual competing side of things that if you can, you know, make money. Because, like, there's very, very few guys getting rich off of drifting at this point. I mean, could I, that change yeah. in 10 years? A hundred percent. I mean, it could sure. change in two years, right? Sure. All it would take is is one of these big race programs to realize that, like, oh, what we spend in catering in a weekend is somebody's entire FD budget. Like, yeah. You know, like that, that's all it's going to take is one of these teams to figure out. Hopefully it's like a Haas or something like that where they're like, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're, we're paying all this money just for food or accommodations and that's an entire FD season. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the racing is stressful for sure. And like, that's why I really appreciate going to grid life events and just being able to go and genuinely hang out. And yeah, there's no real stress. Like you put down some good laps, like, and if you don't, nobody really cares. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just low stress and it's cool. FD is definitely the complete opposite. Like I said, yeah. I, I get weird on race day. I don't want to talk. I don't want to eat. Can't sleep the night before. Like it's stressful, man. Like it's, there's a, there's a lot of people staring at you being like, all right, what do you got? You know what I mean? Weekend after weekend. So, um, yeah, something probably a little bit less stressful, but at the end of mm-hmm. the day, you're probably not going to get rich off of off of drifting alone. But you look at dudes like Von Gittin, I mean, what an empire he's created. Um, you know, with the whole RTR brand, which is a, a part of Ford, Ford, Ford you, performance, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he, what he has created is unbelievable, and that's that right there goes to show you what is all possible um, if you position yourself in the right place. And and he's been working hard, man. The dude's is you know we call him a silver tongue. He, like he's. He can he can talk to anybody about anything, man. He's, oh, he's a really impressive human being. He's cool. Yeah, I, I joked that like during my podcast with him, I think I I asked eight questions, and that was like two hours when we were done. I was like, uh, I have yeah. so many more things I need to get to. <laughs> yeah, but, he's yeah. a cool dude. I've been fortunate enough to spend some time because he lived in Maryland when I was living over there, and he was just right. like thirty minutes up the road. So we would go over to his place and we'd party and hang out late at night and, and cruise us side by side around that quarry he had out back at his house and had a lot of good times with Vaughn and just. You know, even we've like been to the casino with him and he goes outside of the casino and there's like a a, a bellboy working there. He starts asking questions about the casino and about the property he, and he's very, very curious about everything. Yes. Constantly. Uh, I think like constantly, yeah. like it doesn't matter who you are. He's always asking you very asking questions. pointed and specific and he listens. Like, right. it's not like he just asks to be polite. Like he'll, he'll ask follow-ups and then like go dive and then like. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And then and then, and then grill you on the decisions you've made it up to that point. Like, why yeah. did you? What, well, why is it like that? And you're just like, what? Well, it's just how it is. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> am I in a job interview right now? <laughs> yeah, 
it's it's it is it is wild and and i i found that with a lot of very successful business people i mean with my day job i'm i interact with a lot of people like that and and it's a very common thread where they're they're infinitely curious and mm-hmm. and can uh, somehow always relate right they always have a story that that'll fit in with whatever you answer like oh yeah i have this thing and then they build rapport immediately it's crazy yeah 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 so i mean just look at vaughn so that that is what is capable that's that's what drifting can it's possible right that that's what drifting if you have the drive and that's a direction that you want to go it is possible um i don't really have any interest in owning a team i I don't know i don't know why that never really tickled my fancy i just Um, i think that um i just don't like working on other people's shit you know (laughs) like it's just i one race car driver is enough like i i can i can straight up i can be a little bitch sometimes and i think that's how all race car drivers are things aren't perfect or things are going their way (laughs) or you're not getting the attention you think you deserve you know like race car drivers are race car drivers so dealing with other people's crap doesn't really sound like that much fun to me unless i was completely hands-off yeah um but yeah i don't know i think i'd rather just go and attempt some hollywood stuff or i don't know Hmm. that's yeah that would be pretty cool in 10 years for sure but i could see myself doing drifting for as long as i can you know what i mean or as long as i want to but at this point, like I, I want to, I love it, I really do. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's good. <laughs> It'll make it a little bit yeah, easier showing yeah, up, right? Yeah, yeah, as as to be expected. But and yeah. I'm not saying I don't get stressed out. And like at the end of the day, like it does feel like work some days. But mm-hmm. you strap yourself in that race car and you go and burn some laps up, and you're like, oh, this is so worth it. Like it's the, well, the driving is the part that we all live for. Yeah, and it, and it's. I feel like a, almost all of you guys need to be reminded sometimes that like you're one of. 34, 36 people in the world right now that get to do this. And that's it. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's so many people at home, everybody listening to this, everybody watching that like would give anything to be in that same spot that you guys are in. Yeah. And and, and it's it's yeah. it is tough to remember that sometimes. And, and yeah. I feel very privileged even saying that. But sometimes you gotta take a step back and be like, wow, I can't believe I actually get to do this. And this is pretty freaking sweet, no matter what happens. And then uh, you have an event like Orlando or something like that, and you're just like on top of the world. Like that is a feeling that I wish every single person in the in the world could feel. That feeling, a culmination of almost a decade's worth of work leading down to one moment, and then to beat my mentor for the finals for my first right. win was just like I, that, that is that is a day that I remember for the rest of my life, and I will hold as probably the best day of my life because that was all of the work I've ever done coming down to a single moment, and then we won. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, I'm just some dude from, you know, Snoqualmie, Washington, and uh, just roll with a smile on your face and work hard for about a decade and maybe it'll happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's got to be very validating to to have that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I wish everybody in the world could experience that just once. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I'm not, see, I, I'm not that level of competitive. And that I realized that years and years ago where, working with drivers, I was like, oh, you guys are a different breed. Like there's something that's different in your brain that allows you to do this. And I've seen it with every professional race car driver that I've worked with and and even some business people where it's like, there's a part of your brain that this this competition winning it becomes such a singular focus. And, and I realized years ago, I'm like, I, I don't have that. That chemistry doesn't work for me. Um, and that's why I'm always intrigued to to chat with you guys because like, my brain can't operate that way. So seeing that switch turn and and even hearing like your voice change from when you're like talking to then talking about competition, it it's there's there is a a moment where you go from like Dylan the the human being to Dylan the race car driver. And that's yeah. that's infinitely <laughs> that's cool. fascinating for me. 
Yeah, I mean, it's something. It's something about the pressure. You know what I mean? It's just like you know everybody's watching. You got one shot to like go out yeah. there, and, and every whether it's qualifying, whether it's your thirty-two battle, sixteen, or for the finals, like it doesn't matter. You have one shot. If you fuck it up, you go home, and everybody like looks at you different because of that. So mm. it's it's hard to kind of deal through the stress sometimes because even sometimes I'd be sitting in the car like. Sometimes, man, I, I hate to even say, it, but I'm just like, God, I don't even want to be here right now. Like, yeah. it's just there's so much stress and so much anxiety and so many feelings running through you that you're just like, oh, I just want to get away for a minute. But I t- try and take a step back as I'm sitting in the car, and I just go like, like, no, like this, this is what we do. This yeah. is what I've always wanted. That's why we're here. Like, and this is why we're here. And whatever happens, happens. You know what I mean? And I'm just gonna do my best and. If you do good, then everybody's going to think you're a hero for it. So it's just like you might as well do what you've always wanted to do, and then if you do well, uh, everybody applauds you for it. So it's 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 like go through like the hard times now as you're sitting in the car, and just do what you have to do right now. And then for the next several weeks until the next round, people look at you like this instead of like this. Mm. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, and maybe I just maybe I focus too hard on on what people think of me, um, but. I don't know. I uh, I love this shit. It's, I love it's, it. it's super easy to be self-conscious in that regard. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, like, it is. It, it is. Sometimes you want to hide. Like I'm telling you, dude, like sometimes you just want to like, if yeah. you make a mistake on the track, like I just remember being so embarrassed of just like, what a stupid mistake. Like I just wanted to go and hide. Like I was just so embarrassed, you know? I don't remember what specifically it was, but I've had a bunch of them. Well, <laughs> but, and, I, uh, <laughs> and I think that that in itself is the glory of it that you don't remember and and nobody else probably remembers either, yeah. right? Like even even the guys that have stepped into controversy, I mean, Chris is a good example of that. Like that's a guy that's been accused of a lot of things over the years. And now the vast majority of people don't remember, don't care. They've moved on to the next thing. They're sure. now accusing the next driver of doing something silly. And and right. every, every driver I've talked to that's ever had these situations happen, like, you know, this too shall pass. It it blows yeah. over eventually. Like it's nothing is forever. No, nothing. No, and and uh, it's it. I saw an interview. It was like Tom Hanks and Shia LaBeouf and like all these very very famous people. And Tom Hanks brought that up, and he's like, "This too shall pass." Like all these incredibly good things in your life, this too shall pass. All these incredibly bad things, same thing. Like you need to remember that that like the highs that you have winning against your mentor after you know pushing for ten years, that feeling unfortunately will wane and disappear, but so yep. will that embarrassment of, you know, whatever situation it was at that time. Yeah. Blowing it in whatever event it was. Yeah. But, this is what I mean. You don't even remember anymore, right? Yeah. Life is just about learning and moving on. That's that's all you can do. There, the, to me, there's only right now. There's yeah. there's no there is the future. The past is what it is. You yeah. just have to you just have to roll the punches what you have right now. So yeah, kind of a kind of a crazy world we live in, but I'm I'm incredibly thankful for it. I yeah. love it. It's just been a, it's been it's been a crazy crazy wild ride, and I just freaking love it. It's cool. What what is the what what's an experience that maybe most people wouldn't know about that that drifting has afforded you, or or even racing in general has afforded you? Like I, I maybe something that's happened, preferably something that's happened off track. That like maybe a, a, somebody knew who you were. Or like is I, I I'm always interested in in that because you guys are under the microscope as soon as the driver suits on, but. As soon as as soon as it's off, you guys are regular humans again. Yeah, like uh, not too long ago, we were going to a, a local place. Both my parents were in town in SoCal. They live up in Reno area, 
They were down, and we went to uh, just a local spot to go and get something to eat. I have my shop attire on, which is just like a pair of beat vans, dirty pants, dirty clothes, dirty hands, just like the real me, in my opinion. And uh, I, we like go cruising in this place to eat, and there was a, a younger kid in there, and um, and it, like immediately he just like rolls right up to me. He's like, "Are you Dylan Hughes?" And I was just like, I was so caught off guard by it. I was incredibly, <laughs> I was embarrassed. I could feel my face turning red, and I'm just like. It's happened a couple of times in, in public, which is which is always a nice treat, you know? It kind of gives you that little pat on the back feeling, and I love that. But for whatever reason, this kid, he knew everything about what I do, every car that I have, my last event. You know, we Damn. took a photo, and his dad was just looking at me like, all weird, like, who is this dude? Like, this like, <laughs> dude wearing, like, some wore-out pair of Vans and, like, whatever. And uh, that was a really humbling moment for me, especially with my parents being there. I don't, you know, I see my parents at the race weekends, but... They, I live here and they live there, you know. So they just happened to be in town, and it happened to happen when they were there, mm. and that was a really humbling moment for me. That was pretty freaking cool. That was probably one of the biggest ones that was pretty recent. And then even when we were at Long Beach, uh, after we were dealing with some car issues, I I went up to go and watch, and there was a uh, uh, Tanner Faust was there, Samuel Hubinet, and Reese Millen were all there, uh, and they were all kind of standing up in this one little area. And like I know Tanner pretty decent. Um, never really chat with Sam before and then never really chat with Reese before. And um, I was just like, I got to go chat with Reese. I was just like, hey, Reese, like I'm Dylan. And he's just like, oh, I know who you are, like all this stuff. And he, he knew exactly who I was and what I drove and my sponsors. And um, and he said that uh, a friend of ours, Joey Seeley, who owns Emotion Engineering, which is right down the street from us, he was like, Joey speaks very highly of you and like all these different things. And I'm just like, dude, this is coming from like an absolute legend mm -hmm. in like not only the drifting world, but the automotive world and what he has accomplished, um, you know, between him and his father is just like absolute legends in my opinion. The fact that he even knew my name, I was just like, this is the sickest, you know? <laughs> like, and we had a great conversation and talked a little bit about business and and shot the shit and he was showing off his new fancy pants ring that the, the FD guys are doing nowadays, which is, pre yeah. which is pretty freaking cool it's in my sick. opinion. It's super sick. Um, yeah, man, just stuff like that. I've just been able to do some really cool stuff. Even like back in the day, like when I was working for Pastrana, I remember going to an X Games party in Barcelona and they had like this Red Bull VIP area like up on top and it was like, you know, taking shots with Pastrana and like hanging out with our team. And like, I remember some dude was like pulling on my pant leg from like down below on the dance floor and was like, is that Travis? Is that Travis? And I was like, I don't know, man, I'm just here. Like, <laughs> like yes, this is Travis, but like, this is, uh, yeah. I can't do I mean, anything for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't, yeah, dude, I'm just like, this is so weird that I'm even up here, like hanging out with that dude. And, uh, you know, we've we've traveled the world because of motorsports. We've been to, you know, China and driven down the Autobahn at 140 miles an hour and a, bun a whole bunch of crazy shit because of motorsports. Uh, so many that it, it's hard to even remember it all. And just some of the people that I've met are just some of the friends that I'll have forever, you know, whether racing goes away or not. Um, just some really cool people and got to do some really cool stuff. And then when somebody recognizes you and then applauds you for it, it's just like, what even is life? Like, how did I, do I deserve this? You know, like it just mm. feels so, uh, it's just cool, man. Yeah. Do, you, do you get that imposter syndrome a lot? Like the, the, do I deserve this? Why am I here? This isn't me. That kind of thing. Um, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I, I definitely get like the, I'm just like, Whoa, like, do I deserve this? But then it, on, on the flip side of that coin, I'm just like, yeah, I do deserve this. Like I yeah. worked hard for this for yeah. a long time. Like this was not handed to me. This was not easy. I didn't, I didn't grow up with rich parents and I just didn't get to do this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but yeah, I, I worked for it. I moved across the country. I, I put in my time working on a drift team. Like 
you know, we did the Huddy year. Like we, we, we've been through it all, you know what I mean? So obviously there's other people out there that have it worse, but I truly believe that I work for it. So I, I think that my path is the way that it should be done. You start off working for a team as like bitch boy and everybody like treats you like shit just to see if you'll stick around. And that was the Red Bull Dodge team. We worked with some European dudes who were real mean. And I was just like, man, this sucks. Like they would just treat you like shit. And that was yeah. always really tough for me because I'm, I'm not that kind of person. Um, you know, just to see if you'll stick around. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, you, you work your way up from digger boy on the tractor to like somehow landing a deal because you worked hard to travel with Pastrana to somehow meeting, you know, Chris Forsberg's crew chief to somehow working for Chris to somehow driving pro two with Chris spotting for me and then somehow driving pro one, which was a shit show and then building my, you know, it's just the, as long as you're on that upward trajectory, like you, you got to choose a direction and go for it. So as long as you're on that constant upward incline, like, just gotta, just gotta keep stepping the stairs, man. Uh, so I, I believe I work for it, but um, it is always cool when somebody recognizes you for sure. It's yeah. not like it doesn't happen to me like I'm sure it happens to that MLZ or anything like that. But every once in a while, I, I honestly, I, it's funny. I always kind of wanted to be famous. Like, I mean, obviously, like you know, the role I'm in now is a dream come true. Obviously, but I, I for a long time, I was like, oh, I just want to be like internet famous and all this stuff, and it was. It was in St. Louis when Adam was in Pro 2 and we were pitted next to him and he had to like escape out of the back door and like kind of like his security guard came around and like set up a ladder and we're like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, uh, nothing. And I was like, okay. And Adam like pops out, comes down the ladder, runs to his car and leaves. And like, that was the moment where I'm like, that seems like a little too famous for me. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, maybe that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that seemed cool up until that moment. And, and I mean, that's yeah. it's nothing against what he's done. It's it's absolutely insane what he's accomplished. But I'm like, maybe maybe it was because like nobody knew who the hell I was at that point in time that it seemed like much. Maybe now I'd be like, okay, that seems a little better. But I don't know that. I think it, I think I'm, I'm very excited to get him on the show because I want to know like how hard that is. Because nobody yeah. nobody talks about that. Like yeah. how difficult well, that's like, got to be. You know, I follow Adam and I see his stories and like him and Colette like cruising around Target buying a bunch of shit and like sticking at the back of his GT3 RS, you know what I mean? Mm. Like I, I think that is so cool. So, you know, who knows how many people recognize him at, at, at a store like that. But and that's what I mean. Adam is... Yeah. Adam has always been a super cool dude to me. Like he's he's always like he lets me park my trailer at his house, and like I got the opportunity to go and like rip a couple skids at his place right after nice. Orlando this year. And I got nothing bad to say about Adam, man. He's a super super cool dude. Mm-hmm. Always been nice to me, and everybody that asked me about him, I'm like same thing. Like he's a super genuine dude, and he's he's been able to capitalize on this market for sure, and he's absolutely murdering it. Like yeah. you go to that compound, and you're just like. This is how old are you, dude? Like yeah. it's gnarly, dude. He's a he's a smart dude, and he's done really well for himself. It's just same thing with Vaughn, you know. It's just right, you know. Just chase that path and just don't ever stop. And like you can you can see what what people are capable of, like Vaughn and Adam, and yeah, it's just it's just sick, man. Like sky's the limit, truly. Mm-hmm. So la- last question: uh, What do you want your lasting legacy to be in FD? What do you want people to think about? What do you what do you hope to accomplish? Like, how do you want this all to, to come to an end, I guess? Um, I think that what would be really cool is just if people could see the journey. Mm. Kind of like what I, what I had just said is it's just like, it is possible to come from somewhere, you know, somebody who doesn't have a bunch of money. Like I, I was a, you know, fortunate growing up, but like my, my racing program was never paid for. You know, me and my dad like split 
like my V8 in my car, uh, you know, and, and we worked really hard on that. And, and I think that just the dude who climbed the ladder, who started from the very bottom and climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed through Pro 2, through the Huddy year, up into Pro 1, and then ultimately just, I want to be remembered as like one of the dudes who shred. Obviously, like with the likes of James Dean, I mean, I think that dude's on another planet as far as driving and Osbo as well and Chris. And there's a lot of drivers out there that are absolutely insane. And I want to be one of those. I want to be remembered as the dude who's like the small town kid who made it because of work ethic. And to show to other people that that is possible. If you don't take things personally, you know, like you're going to have highs and lows and just don't take things personally. Don't stress the little shit and just keep working no matter what. And there will ultimately be a day where you've worked so hard for so long that you can't go back now. Like Mm. I thought about it. I remember like before the Huddy deal, I was like, man, am I going to run Pro 2 again? Like, what am I going to do? You know? And like, I'm already so far down this path. Like I can't stop now. Like that'd be the dumbest thing ever. I'm just going to throw away this past six years of my life. Like absolutely not. So just that climbing the ladder is possible. And I want to be remembered as, you know, one of the best to ever do it. Um, So that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you're definitely, you're well on the way, man. You're, you're definitely well on the way. Thanks, bro. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. It's, it's like I said, I mean, we all know it's not easy, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. And I know that sounds cliche and stupid, but I truly say that to, I say it to myself all the time. I'm just like, you know, when you're constantly putting out fires at the shop and there's dealing with all the bullshit, it's just like, if it was easy, everybody would do it. You know, nobody, yeah. there's only 34, 36 of us for a reason. Like, it's mm-hmm. hard. And that's the way that it should be. Because if it was easy, you'd have a bunch of yahoos out there. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, just climb the ladder and keep jamming. Nice. Well, thank you again. Is there anything you want to shout out? Anything big coming up? Social links? Any of that stuff? I'll put your links down in the, the, the description, but. Um, yeah, just uh, Instagram, YouTube. Um yeah, we're going back to Bonneville this year. Um, we, as we're filming this now, I leave for New Jersey on Wednesday. So um, we're just nice. going to go out there and jam. It's always great to go out there and, and hang out with uh, with the Nat family, Chris Knapp nice. and Mike Knapp, the guys who own the track. Unbelievable yeah. people. Uh, and uh, can't wait to see my drifting family. And uh, yeah, thank you to my sponsors. Obviously, Real Purple Synthetic Oil, uh, Permatex, GT Radial Tires, um, just everybody for supporting me. I, I, I cannot do this shit without them. So like from the bottom of my heart, thank you to those guys. And uh, I'm a lucky human being. I will say that. I, I get to live out a lot of people's dreams. So I don't have a damn thing to complain about. Sick. Well, thank you for making this work. I'm glad we got through all the computer issues. We got it all sorted. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> got scheduling stuff done. I, I get it. You got like, it's you guys live such a nuts life. That's why I always try to be as accommodating because I, I get it. So. I'm glad you well, got the dino you, time in this morning and we got this all sorted. Yeah. So yeah. Jacob, cool. thank you for your time, dude. I appreciate it. Dude, and uh thanks for thanks for yeah, thanks for stepping up and and uh giving the FD fans what what they need, which is which is Trying. a podcast and asking the questions that, that people want to ask but maybe can't. So hats <sighs> off to you for for doing your thing and respect ah, thanks, for sure. I, I appreciate it. Well, and and thank you for everybody listening at home or watching at home. Uh definitely watch because Dylan does a lot of stuff with his hands. I don't know if he even knows it, but uh, I, I, I'm like a, I'm like a tweaker. I can't stop I, moving. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's all good. But yeah, thank thanks everybody for listening and or watching. Appreciate it. Uh, if you like the show, share it with a friend. Let's give Dylan. Let's try and I always like to see like if social numbers jump after these episodes. So I, I I'm always curious. I always check that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing this. And I'll, I mean, I'm going to see you in a, in a few days. So yeah, Pretty yeah. Stuff. See you. Um, yeah, see you in New Jersey, my friend. And like I said, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jacob. All right, thank you.